This is Unfilter, episode 278 for April 25th, 2018. I'm sure the special counsel is considering my recollection of those events, which are reflected in these memos. Comey said last night that he believes the memos are pertinent to the Russia investigation. The first was sent to top FBI officials the day after his first briefing with President-elect Trump. Comey writes that he typed the notes immediately upon exiting Trump Tower where he had briefed Mr. Trump alone, warning him that the Russians allegedly had tapes involving him and prostitutes. everybody, welcome again to another edition of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I don't know if you heard, but today is what they call the most perfect day of the year. It's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. Perfect day to do Unfilter. That's right. And it's kind of like episode one all over again. We have like multiple people around here, isn't it? This, this is, uh, it's good. It's like it's refreshing. Do, it's like we have an audience. <laughs> you know? It's like, like a, it's like a morning radio show yeah. where, you know, we're, you know, like yeah. we're going to go to Noah with the traffic here later on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Alan's, Alan's going to bring us the international report. <laughs> I, I think we're going to be good. I like it. Yeah. I like it. We'll get the uh, Comey weather from Mr. Noah July. Hey, Noah. Sorry, I missed you guys last week, by the, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I, I know we did. An, Ooh, uh, I, I saw rough, that buddy. we had an exclusive Patreon post yes. that turned to public for everybody. Aren't our patrons the best? Are they are. Aren't they the best? They're like the open source of yeah. Patreon. I put it to them. I said, you decide. In the Patreon post, I said, you decide. Should we release this to the general public or should we keep it? And they said, release it. Release it. Oh, immediately. Yeah. It so great. So great. Well, coming up today, we're going to revisit the topic of Mr. James Comey, his memos, the revelations, and if Donald Trump has weathered that Comey storm. We'll talk about that coming up in the show. And then, of course, we've got a cyber update, some interesting news regarding the Russia investigation. Surprise, surprise. There's been some Developments there. As always, a high note, a packed overtime, and a little lawsuit you may have heard of this week. We'll get to that Just as well. Just a small one. Just a small one. How you doing, Mr. Chase? Well, I'm I'm you know, I'm a little sore. So last week, uh, the reason why I wasn't here was I was in San Francisco. Down in Cali. And uh, unfortunately I was I didn't really have a lot of time to do a lot of open things, but my my goal being down there was to go to my first ever concert. I went to my first ever musical concert. I saw this group called Jamiroquai. And Jamiroquai, they they did uh, some songs and some famous things and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I had a great time. Uh, had was on one of the last few flights of Virgin America before oh, they right before they axed them. You know, it's funny though, Chase, because I have some memos here that says uh, while you were in California, you yeah. hired some California hookers. And, I did uh, had them pee on the bed. It says no, right here, no, no, I guess no, no, I got no. a dot. I'm, that's the other newness. Oh, sorry. I know it gets confusing. I, there were I two newnesses in the all, same state yeah. at the same time. I mix it's, that it's up. Weird. I mix that up. You know, yes. ah, that Devin, right? He's quite the character. He is. Well, what do you think? Should we get the show rolling with a little cyber as we like to ASL, do? ASL, buddy. Yeah, I. Uh, I think maybe we'll start with uh, something that we, we all in the West, all of us, the quote unquote West, need to worry about. It's brand new. It's never been a threat before until Russia thought of it, and it's your router. Our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point. <laughs> oh, hold on. Hold on, Obama. We'll get to you. <laughs> Internet router may be 
be the perfect spy tool for the Kremlin. That disturbing warning coming from the Department of Homeland Security. Uh-oh. And from Fox and Friends. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's funny. I, I actually called it in our Slack. I said, uh, in, in, for TechSnap, I said, all right, well, there's been, this, there's, been a, there's been an announcement from the Department of Homeland Security that Russians have been trained and hired by Putin to hack your router. So prepare yourselves for the So this, this is confusing to me because hmm. wasn't it not too long ago, maybe six months or so ago, when we found out that routers and other networking equipment was being intercepted and kind of our government spyware no, was... No, stop it. You stop it. That what? is that is a conspiracy. Oh. That is, you, you are peddling oh, conspiracies. Oh, okay, okay. So so this is happening. No, I'm, I'm, maybe you're not familiar, but oh. uh, you kind of need to go... So you need to understand, uh, yeah, home routers yeah. have been 100% secure uh, ah. for the last 10 years. Oh, okay. And it wasn't until some really clever uh, 40 chess playing Russian hackers figured out how to exploit I mean, them. I still use a web key. Is that cool? Yeah. Oh, oh no, right, uh, right, cool. you're fine. Just right, cool. make, sure, make sure that you don't use the internet. You can have a local wireless land but if you're on the internet russia's gonna get it's you. connected Quick to the power spy grid. tool for the kremlin that disturbing warning coming from the department of homeland security and the u.s and uk now warning that russian hackers could be exploiting unpatched routers using them to spy on people around the world so how worried should we be yeah you see nobody else is doing this former special operations intelligence analyst brett velikovich joins us now oh, yeah. uh with more on that hey brett uh this is interesting and when we're talking about old routers that they can use to spy? Explain how that even happened. What? Yeah, old? yeah. explain to me because I really how don't understand rare. what I'm reading on the Are prompter. you telling me old software connected to the internet could be used against me? That's, uh, God, could you break this down? Happens. Exactly. And this is really just another incident in a long line of illicit activities on behalf of the Russian government. Uh, in this <laughs> particular case, millions of these unprotected routers, these Internet routers that uh, everyday businesses and, and consumers have, uh, have been hacked by Russian state sponsored hackers that already hacked They're they're catch the it's past tense. This is done. Yeah, you are over, over a million you, have already been hacked yeah. by Russia. Do you do you understand that you are already personally screwed? I've been hacked. Yeah, dude, man, that's Sorry. Consumers have uh, have been hacked by Russian state-sponsored hackers that are intent on stealing our critical information um, and also, you know, intent on stealing our intellectual property. And our intelligence agencies are are very aware of this. They've been aware of this uh, for a while. Yeah, they do it themselves. That the Russians have been able to successfully penetrate our critical infrastructure through these hacking activities, and the problem really is just too big to control. You know? Here's what I think is. Here's what I think happens. Here's what I think is they project. They're like, well, we're doing this, so Putin's doing this, right? Like, if we're if we can do this, if we can own people's links, this is then Putin can do it. So I, I, I guess getting back to kind of the messaging here. So <laughs> yeah. We're seeing this on Fox and Friends. High confidence, dude. High confidence. And they, they only put very important things on Fox and Friends yeah. when they want the president to see it, right? <laughs> I like this. This this is a good framework to work within. So uh, maybe. Okay. All right. I'll roll with this. So Fox and Friends is messaging directly to a very particular audience member, you're saying. They have a specific target demographic. Yeah, and that being Donald Trump. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I could buy that, actually. I could yeah. see that being real. So let me ask you this. Yeah. What's the goal, then? Well, that and that's, that's the part that I'm confused about because – Anytime the president talks about Russia, we, we it feels hardcore, and then we hear in the back channels that it doesn't end up being hardcore. But now we're seeing this. So are, are we trying to spin the message here? I guess what I – yeah, I think what I see here is um, take anything that's obvious and been a longstanding issue and blame it on Russia. That's what I'm seeing play out. Like uh, you can take – 
uh, I, I've always said that uh, routers on people's home networks were the canary in the IoT coal mine. I, I've said this a lot. People oh, are probably yeah. sick of me saying this, but the fact that we shipped for years and years and years, all of these Linksys devices, all of these TP-Link devices, all these D-Link devices, all these Netgear devices that we haven't figured how to properly patch and keep secure or how to maybe not bake in a backdoor login, the fact that we, we failed that means that we haven't learned anything from the newer generation of IoT devices. And sure. now we're, we're, we're sort of doing this backfilling of history and we're, we're pretending like all of a sudden – it's this all of a sudden new discovered issue right. that elite sponsored Russian hackers have figured out. Just like they're the elite hackers that figured out how to do a phishing attack. I would I would question like and I know you don't get the commercials for these clips, but is there a Cisco or Linksys oh, doing man. advertisement and you know You know, I never because, thought about clipping the commercials, but that would almost like like just like thirty seconds of commercials yeah. around these would almost be he's definitely there selling a book, his whatever is his drone war book or oh, whatever. Oh, they're selling. They're selling yeah. all the time. But That's like sure. I would be interested. And we'll be right back. Hey, is your wireless router having issues? Well, you know, and, here's you know. what really bugs me about it is uh, if I were to zoom out a little bit, is it's it is focusing on the wrong thing. We 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 so constantly are freaking out about North Korean or Chinese or Iran or Russian hackers that we we don't solve simple IT security issues in government like shared user logins and basic things like everybody having way too much access to the network than they should have. And it's not me saying that. The chief information technology officer, uh, I believe from the State Department, although the clip will clarify, uh, said the same thing. As the House of Representatives issued its own alert about the lack of background checks on people working there. Ah, this is Philip Kinko from uh, the House of Representatives. He's the chief administration chief administration officer, uh, and he was trying to raise the point that there are too many shared employee logins, saying many had unfettered access to the body's network. Those were the words of the chief administrative officer himself, who went on to talk about the potential impact of such problems on the way. The House manages cybersecurity. These gaps, in a broad perspective, relate to supervision and oversight of shared employees or lack thereof, improper vetting of the employees, and perhaps most problematic, the inability to enforce compliance with House information security policies. For example, the unauthorized access to office data or commingling of data the use of unsecured software, cloud service, email account, and equipment. Despite security concerns, the proposal to abolish so-called shared employees was refused. A TV host and political commentator, Steve Maltzberg... We'll stop there. I think, it, I think it's clear. It's obvious that basic security issues are not being addressed. And, and then on the public side, we're freaking out about Russian hackers getting into your routers. Meanwhile, we have... People in the House of Representatives logging in and using the same shared user ID across tens of machines. There's like low-hanging basic fruit of disconnecting systems from the Internet, setting up proper network administrative access levels, making people log in as a user that is tracked by to them, that is just for them, that is unique yeah. to them. We're not doing the basics, but then yet we're sitting there banging the drum about Putin and his 4D chess. Well, we're not doing the basics because, uh, Chris, we're not spending enough money. <laughs> on this. And so what yeah. we need to do is spend more, yeah. get people properly You're trained, right. and You're right. get the proper tools in place. Show me the money! So you know who is spending some money is uh, people on Reddit with GPUs. Uh, NBC News has just learned about deep fakes 
And they didn't care. When, you know, when you're deep faking Natalie Portman in a porn scene, NBC doesn't <laughs> care. But my God, if you deep fake Obama, the line must be drawn here. Time. Take a close Even look at this video. It looks and sounds like so, former President Barack Obama, instance, except it's not. Things. I actually don't think it sounds like Obama at all, but listen to it. See, I would never say these things. See, I would never say these things. But, That's, you know, that sounds as much like Obama as my impression. Does. Right, yeah, and, and that being said, though, I mean, you know, it could be a bad video or audio yeah, feed. I mean, the video looks good, but yeah. the audio sounds like crap. Yeah. At least not in a public address. But At least not in a public address. Someone else would. Someone like Jordan Peele. The video was made to alert internet users to deep fakes, easy manipulations of video, photo, or audio. This photo went viral after last month's March for Our Lives. A Parkland shooting survivor seems to be tearing up the Constitution, when in reality, she's destroying a shooting range target. That's that's not a deep fake. That's, that's a Photoshop. There's a difference. I mean... You can just have a separation in the video. Like, you could that's, just. That's a light fake. That's like a cut in the scene yeah. where you have yeah. one person recording the Constitution, or you just overlay, you just do frame matching. That's not deep fake. We're concerned about anyone that could be putting uh, disinformation into the eyes of the public in the United States. Yes, Russia, absolutely. North Korea, Eastern Europe. Absolutely. Everyone, even people within the United States. Uh-oh. Here at DARPA, the secretive Department of Defense agency that helped develop Siri and driverless cars. I'm going to go ahead and, and play that. They just get credit for all driverless cars. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? I love how And they, just... they invented the internet. <laughs> yeah. Of defense agency that helped develop Siri and driverless cars. I'm going to go ahead and, and play this. Dr. David Dorman is running a new program to fight against fabricated news, saying it's being produced all around the world. They're building new software and artificial intelligence that will allow government agencies and tech companies to scan any image to see if it's been altered. You might be able to look at the the shadows here. Like this photo where a plane was added. The program scans it and detects the doctoring with a heat map. To the naked eye, this airplane has been placed in this photo. Yes, it's what we call a splice, where you take an object from a different photo and you place it into uh, a photo. That um, isn't new. I mean, no. I don't know if people people are aware, but this not, none of this is new. I'm I'm not terribly. I mean, I'm okay with this story, and that and that's just because it's so bad. Though, it, it's man. bad, but it, maybe it's kind of like a little bit of a, a, a canary thing where it's like, well, be on the lookout for this because more is coming soon. Now it, that is the like definite silver lining of the story. It's like, hey, you need to be more critical about yeah. what you're seeing, and yeah. it's going to get even worse. That part I completely agree with, but like they're. Um, the way they con- the way they conflate photoshops with deepfakes it's so lazy it's so lazy like there's plenty like they could go into celebrities that are being impersonated and they could talk about defamation of character like there's so much they could go into if they just stayed with deepfakes but they can't help themselves they stray from the subject matter oh yeah it's so, it's it's just so disappointing really <laughs> i don't even know what else to say about it it's just so disappointing uh, but anyways, there's been some – so we we heard some Russia mentions recently. Why don't we shift gears and talk about the big Russia investigation? I don't have a lot to update on, but there has been talk, will Trump fire Bob Mueller? You know, old Bob. Are they going to fire Bob? Well, you can't just fire Bob, right? No, no. There's a process that has to happen. Yeah, a process that would involve Rod Robinstein getting canned and a sort of a domino effect. And so there's been a lot of speculation about that as well as some other things like um, – well – 
I'll let the clip explain. The origins of an investigation. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes revealing the results of his review into the beginning of the Trump campaign probe. Here's what he told me yesterday. Now, hold on. I'm going to hit pause. You remember I told you this is this clip has a lot in it. So uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you you're going to get more tweets. So Devin Nunes went to uh, the uh, he, he went to the origins of the Russia investigation just so that way Chase could get some more negative tweets, some more aggressive tweets yeah, to find out it. what yeah. intelligence was used you know, to get that FISA warrant to kick this whole thing off that we've now been talking about for what feels like 25 years. On Sunday Morning Futures. We've long wanted to know, well, what intelligence did you have uh, that actually led to this investigation? So what we found now, after the investigators have reviewed it, is that, in fact, there was no intelligence. We thought, well, maybe there was one that went through a different channel that was kept really quiet, that was secret, that was kept from the Congress and, and other folks. Well, in fact, after our investigators reviewed this, that's, that is not what happened. There was, there was no uh, Five Eyes intelligence product. As, as it's been reported, uh, there was no product. So one of the things that has been speculated was that perhaps we didn't pick anything up, but one of our allies picked up something while uh, Trump ally or Trump was in Russia. What he's saying here is that it's not the case, that there was not a Five Eyes partner that picked something up that they let us know about. Five Eyes intelligence product, as, as it's been reported, uh, there was no product. Joining us right now to talk more about that is Fox News senior judicial analyst, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge, no official intelligence, and he mentions the five eyes, which is an agreement that the U.S. has with a total of five countries to share intelligence, that we don't spy on one another. No intelligence went through that five eyes in terms of launching an investigation into the Trump campaign. So let me let me explain. Let me look at this two ways. One is the the president's argument and Congressman Nunes's argument is that this is a, a political hack job uh, commenced by Sidney Blumenthal and Democrats through a dossier that they paid for, which they got their friends in the FBI and the intelligence community to present to a FISA court judge to authorize surveillance on Carter Page and perhaps on others, and that surveillance developed more information. So, so far, that's all true. Yes. That's all true. Stated differently, it really started by trying to sort of push a string through a pipe, and they managed somehow to get the string through. That's one argument. The other argument is it is very dangerous, and I've been critical of Congressman Nunes in the past, though I know him and like him and agree with him on many things and respect him and respect his work for him to look at top-secret information and cherry-pick it for a political narrative. He did this two months ago. He did it last week. So you see we have two things going on, both of which are true. Devin Nunes is cherry-picking information, and then he is, on his own or by someone's uh, suggestion, choosing what to share. Then you have the fact that what he's choosing to share does seem to be legitimate. So it's a really complicated situation where there is another side of the story, but what we're seeing isn't necessarily being made up. It's just selected. Right. Cherry pick it for a political narrative. He did this two months ago. He did it last week. We can expect the opposite conclusion to come from Congressman Schiff. Uh, Which we've been seeing this whole time. It's something we've been following on the show. You yeah. see you see Nunes say one thing and then Schiff comes out. And he's got a total different interpretation of the facts. And then we sit here in the middle and go, well... Uh, they both kind of are saying the same thing. They're just saying it differently. I mean, to be fair, and, and, and Devin also said he recused himself from this anyway. So we don't have anything to worry about, right? <laughs> ...and cherry pick it for a political narrative. He did this two months ago. He did it last week. We can expect the opposite conclusion to come from Congressman Schiff, uh, who will do the very same thing. In the good old days, 
which is about six months ago. If Congress <laughs> wanted to know how a criminal investigation started, they would serve a subpoena on the Justice Department. And the Justice Department would take that subpoena across the street to a federal judge who would quash it and say, you know what? We don't interrupt. We don't invade. We don't second guess criminal investigations while they're going on. You can see this stuff after they're concluded, whether they conclude with an indictment or whether they conclude with nothing. Mm. Think about what he's saying there. I completely agree. I, I agree with the judge there too. And but he, part he's, of the, he's saying ahead, yeah. what he, I mean. What he's I'm just want to recap. Yeah. What he's saying is, uh, it is completely un unordinary to come out in the middle of an investigation and say, "Hey, by the way, what tipped this investigation off was bogus." Right. Hey, FYI, that is normally it's like a follow up challenge in the court where yeah. you where you reveal your evidence. Like that's how it's normally revealed. Yeah. So there's obvious political motivations on both sides here. Right. And, and this is where especially and, and unfortunately, it does go back to the president when, you know, he's up there and he's he's causing it, uh, calling it, a, you know, cl- no collusion. This is a, a witch hunt. Any collusion? Planting the seeds. And then it, it forces the Justice Department in a weird spot. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To put it mildly. Yeah. Now she's going to push back on the judge a bit. So yeah, I believe it is dangerous for him to do this because the Democrats will do it. He'll do it again. And then the Democrats. Yeah, will but do you, it. Say, you say the good old days was six months ago. Judge, let's be clear. There were subpoenas after subpoenas to get information from the Department of Justice and the FBI. And they stonewalled Congress and they did not get. It. So there's no good old days. Well, six months being, ago. I was, I'm being sorry. A little, I was being a little sarcastic when I said six months ago. It was longer than six months ago when, if Congress wanted information about an ongoing criminal investigation, they would not get it, no matter what subpoenas they served, because the subpoena would be quashed by a federal judge who knows you cannot subject to the light of day evidence obtained in an ongoing criminal investigation. A, it tips off the people being investigated. B, it deters the investigators from doing their work if they have to operate in sunlight rather than in the darkness. But where we have two people running the Justice Department, who in my view are now scrambling to save their jobs, Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, they're going to cooperate with those who want them to cough this uh, stuff up because they want to keep their jobs. So do you see any other evidence other than the dossier used to launch an investigation into the Trump campaign? Well, I don't know because I don't have access. But the chairman of the Intel Committee does know. Well, the chairman of the Intel Committee, in my view, is cherry picking. That is, taking raw data that suits his political narrative and drawing a conclusion from it. The real shame here is that uh, this whole investigation process has become so political that it looks like a fucking shit show, no matter if it's coming from Schiff or from Nunes. It right. just looks like it's to serve a political agenda. And, and that's the part that bugs me is just like, let the investigation be. Let it, I mean, let's let let the criminal side do what it's going to do, take the politics out of it, because when you start muddying the waters, you're not going to get a clear picture, and then everybody's going to feel it's political. Hey, Noah, I got a random question for you. Shoot. Do you know what uh, Michael Cohen's job was before Donald Trump hired him? (laughs) Before he got his uh, now three clients? No, I guess I don't. He was a personal injury attorney. He, uh, which is, uh, if you look at, if you look at the uh, law industry, it's one of like the most belittled professions in the law industry is the person. Oh, yeah. They're called ambulance chasers. Uh, That's what Michael Cohen did before he was hired by Donald Trump. Before you sign anything with your insurance company, call Michael Cohen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so uh, what that 
th- th- that tells you uh, why sometimes you may have seen in the media where people say the supposed lawyer. That's what they're referring to is they're kind of like making a little like ah, ha, ha, a little jab. He was a he was a personal injury attorney. What he really is is a fixer. He's a he's a he's a well-paid fixer that is loyal to Donald Trump. And when this whole thing went down where they raided his office, his hotel room and his apartment, they took him out of the game by doing that. Mm. He's no longer representing Donald Trump. He is set off to the side. He's out of the game. And they took away Don's fixer. That's what's happened. Short that's the that's the short version of Don doesn't have a a fixer now. And uh can you guess who stepped up? To be Don's new fixer, can you guess yeah. what what I, ambitious? I, I can guess what ambitious politician. Do you know? Has, I know. Look at me. No, I don't have a good guess. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, I'm going to give him a clue. You ready for me to give him a clue, uh, Chris? First clue. This is like, kind of like password. Okay. All right. <laughs> I love it. You know, you watch the game show Password, right? Oh yeah, I remember Password. All right, but I'm going to give you a two word clue. Okay. okay. All right, all this right. is fair. First clue. New York. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I did hear that. Uh, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, I. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you if you yeah. just, here's the thing. If you'd have just asked who was joining his legal team, I yeah. would have told you that. But I was like, fixer. No, this no, fixer. Who's who in the back alley breaking, this, breaking this, legs this, and, you know, and just? Yep. Hey, let me ask you this something. The, just since you brought Giuliani's it up, Giuliani's the new fixer. Yeah. When uh, when when uh, when uh, when other people's lawyer, when other people are being investigated, like did they break into Hillary's office and 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 raid hers? Come. Well, they did go after Weiner. Okay. They did get Wiener yeah, stuff. But that wasn't his that wasn't yeah. their lawyer. I don't think I ever think they yeah. ever got in that you know, bathroom. Kicked down his door and hmm. like, you know, raided his place. You know, maybe Hillary needed a fixer. Two more new developments in the Russian investigation. For that, let's bring in our chief White House correspondent, John Carl. And John, after weeks of scrambling, the president's beefed up his legal team in a big way. I sure did, George. He is bringing in Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani, of course, is the former mayor of New York, but he is also the former U.S. attorney. For the Southern District of New York, that is the very U.S. Attorney's Office that ordered the FBI raid on Michael Cohen's office. You know, persistence really does pay off for Giuliani. I mean, he really wanted to be involved. He's been trying to get in since before Trump was elected. Yeah. And it really finally paid off. Here is what Giuliani said about why he took the job. Quote, I am doing it because I hope we can negotiate an end to this for the good of the country and because I have a high regard for the president and for Bob Mueller. That's all right. What does that first part mean? Well, so a uh, little bit of bonus extra credit. Can you guess who is a personal friend of Rudy Giuliani? <laughs> Robert Mueller. <laughs> Robert Mueller is a personal friend of Rudy Giuliani. You know that would make sense because wasn't Robert wasn't didn't didn't Robert Mueller serve as uh, yeah. Because but you see, that's him and James were good friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rudy Giuliani personally knows Bob, and uh, he's here to fix this for Donald. See, I'm. I always thought though, like this is not a great choice, to, <laughs> like Giuliani, just because of the yeah. just because of the fact that he was involved during the campaign, right? I mean, yep. how you isn't that he like is, a he, natural he, conflict of well, interest? He does have a lawyer background. I mean, he's got. Well, a legal oh no, background. no, I'm not saying that he's not qualified. I'm just saying, is he personally the right pick just because he was involved during the campaign? To me, it feels desperate. It does oh, feel yeah. a little desperate. Yeah. First of all, it feels like paying a debt to Giuliani, who 
who's got who got passed over for Secretary of State. He got passed over for a several. Well, Attorney roles. General and Attorney General. Yeah. Yep, yeah. he was going for Attorney General. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure he wanted an ambassadorship too, because who doesn't? <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, so there's like, is is this how desperate we've gotten now? Is we're trying to we're trying to hire personal friends of Bob Mueller to negotiate a soft-handed interview? So the implication in this statement, and uh, this has been followed up in other reports too, is. Giuliani is under the belief that if he can negotiate a safe interview between Mueller and Trump, that'll essentially wrap up the investigation. That Mueller's going to keep going until Trump agrees to do an interview. Oh, I don't think so. I, I, I think, you know, he would love to have the opportunity to, to talk to the president, but I don't think it, it, his investigation hinders on that fact. I think he's, he's basically I, 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 doing Giuliani everything. Giuliani thinks differently. Giuliani yeah. thinks that Mueller won't stop until Trump agrees to an interview. What do you, you don't, you don't, you don't think nah, so? No, nah, I don't think so. I, well, that's, I, I, I bet I, you that's the line Giuliani said Trump I, to get in. <laughs> I know, but I also, but I also think, you know, Giuliani himself, puts him himself in a, a unique position because of that potential conflict. And yes, he knows Bob. That's great. But maybe I, he had some Russian contact. Uh-oh. I don't know. Either, yeah, who but knows, yeah. I'm just saying, I do what you're like. You would think you would be looking for people that weren't ever um, touched by the campaign. So that way they were 100 percent clean is what you're saying. Right. You, yeah. you would you would want somebody that was not involved with it at all, not even in a back channel or a side email or anything. But he can't even get anybody, and that and that's <laughs> and, and so he goes down the list. You know, he, he goes, "Who do I know? Who do I know?" Well, I feel I, like, I know Rudy. No, I feel like I feel like that's a little unfair. I feel like he is in a position where he can't trust many people anymore. Look yeah. at all the leaks they had. Like they brought in Priebus, total freaking leaker, right? right yeah. You know, Bannon didn't work out. Like he brought in all of these people that he thought were going to be his close confidants, and so far, with the exception of his family. There's like nobody that doesn't end up screwing him. And so like you got to figure if I go with somebody who's been loyal to me since I announced I'm going to be president and he oh, knows Bob. That. Wait, oh, long before yeah, that. Because, and he knows Bob. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's interesting a, that you used the word loyal. That's. that's oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I think yeah. that's coming up later in the show. Yeah, yeah. I think loyalty is a big thing. Yes. All right. Well, we'll talk about that later. Let's keep going here. Uh, so you remember, Chase, that no. uh, Donald Trump was questioned and pushed kind of hard about uh, his time spent in Moscow during the Miss Universe. Well, uh, well he said in himself i mean came from his lips that he he didn't yeah i mean you know you had a pretty good recounting trump even sort of uh, came back out later and said oh wait i forgot no i left right away right right so when he when in 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 the book james talks about his when he first told donald trump about this he didn't have an immediate reaction other than i didn't do it you have to believe me none, none of this happened yeah and also and i don't want was, my wife to ever yeah my wife yeah, but it was know. it was days later that trump came back and then said, oh, by the way, I now recall that actually I wasn't even there overnight. We, we just took off. I just went to the hotel. I changed clothes. I showered. Then I took right back off. You would think that would be something that you'd remember right away, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Not, mm-hmm. not a few days like, later. I right. slept in a hotel in Russia or I got back on my plane and went home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it turns out uh, the flight records really tell us what happened. And it's something like 47 hours of Donald Trump's plane were in Moscow. So the president allegedly told James Comey multiple times that the, quote, golden shower thing could not possibly be true, saying the proof was that he didn't even stay overnight in Moscow. According, however, to flight records of... You know, that also reminds me of... uh, There was a passage that came out in Fury and Fire where it talked about Donald Trump watching TV in his robe. And Donald Trump's retort to that was, that couldn't possibly be true. I don't even own a robe. What... 
I don't even believe that, but that's how the man works. That's sort of, he goes to like, well, the whole premise must be wrong because I don't own a robe. Boom. What are you going to do now, sucker? And like, he couldn't have hired hookers to piss on a bed because he didn't even spend the night. Boom. What are you going to do now? There was no bed. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same kind of theme here. Multiple times that the quote golden shower thing could not possibly be true, saying the proof was that he didn't even stay overnight in Moscow. According, however, to flight records obtained by Bloomberg, Trump departed from Asheville, North Carolina, arriving in Moscow early Friday morning at 6 a.m. on November 8th. So on November 8th, he arrives. And then Trump stayed in Russia until Sunday, November 10th for nearly 46 hours. Okay, so that's 46 hours that we have at least for Trump's plane. And it's doubtful he left without his plane. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's possible he could have got on a train, maybe took an Uber somewhere. He might have flapped I his mean, arms super well, hard. Let's, uh, and let's back up, too. Let's be clear. The only record of anything contradicting that is what James Comey says. To my knowledge, there's no public record of Donald Trump saying I was never in Russia. I don't think that's true, actually. Really? I, yeah. This clip might get into that. Flying out of Moscow in the wee hours Sunday morning back to New York City area. So we know Trump spent Friday night there in Moscow, and we also know most of his schedule. Trump went to eat Friday night with Russian business tycoons at Nobu. You see that picture there. Then he attended a birthday party for the pageant's host, developer Aras Agalarov. What happened after the birthday party is a mystery. The only thing we know about the night that Trump slept in Moscow comes from his bodyguard, Keith Schiller, when he reportedly told Congress he turned down an offer from a Russian to send women to Trump's room. Can we just take a moment and discuss how obnoxious Chris Hayes is? He literally sounds like he has an erection right now. He is so ex- <laughs> he is, like His erection is pushing up against the desk as he's talking. He's so excited about the fact that his night in Moscow. Actually... So- I, I really think all news outlets are guilty of this around this time period. I mean, just it's true. When, Chris, whenever it gets a, a small bit of piece of information, they go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like Rachel Maddow and yeah, the tax returns. Yeah, you're right about that. I dude. mean, yeah. Oh, it's just really wearing thin on me, I think. I think oh, I'm, I know. Starting to, I'm starting to just run out of patience. <laughs> just, okay, all right. Continuing on. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just had to say something. So the president elect- Oh, I didn't mean to do that, though. From his bodyguard, Keith Schiller, when he reportedly told Congress he turned down an offer from a Russian to send women to Trump's room. Schiller testified he stood outside Trump's hotel room for a time and then went to bed. All right, so what we have on record is that they turned down a hooker. Okay, well, first of all, that was his first mistake. Let's be honest, Russian hookers, I've heard they're the best. The next time Trump is seen publicly is the next day. Before the Miss Universe pageant on Saturday, Trump sat down for an interview with NBC looking a little bleary-eyed. I don't feel like they would normally make that accusation. Um, but he does look uh, like his eyes are red. Like he looks like he had a he night. had a long night. Yeah, mm-hmm. check t- 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 if you're watching the video. Let's version, go to the videotape. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yes, you see it. <laughs> I see it right away. He, he looks like he's hungover. He's tired. Yeah. Chat room is, is asking this too, and I guess this is one of my questions: is what? Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that we find out definitively this is true. Yeah. Who really cares? Oh, it, well, it, it comes back to one simple thing: the truth. And mm-hmm. when when he when he comes out. And start saying no. It's it's the it's the fake media, fake news. I didn't fake even this. spend the night. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't sure. do this. Yeah. And then oh well, I couldn't have possibly done this because I wasn't on an airplane. You know, just weird. <laughs> I don't have a robe. I don't there, have a robe. Yeah. There are there's that element. I of think it. that's what it really the basics come down. That I can to. that uh, I can I can yeah. see. But sure, yeah. I mean, there's that element of it. But I think what it's oh, more. Max. What 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 is what, what did the Canadian say? What, what is it? Yeah, yeah, what it is is yeah. blackmail. Yeah, oh yeah, it's one hundred percent about blackmail. For blackmail, it would, it would, 
for for blackmail yeah, we gotta to be, get that guy for, Mike. For, for blackmail <laughs> to be effective though they'd have to tell something they'd have to tell the american people something right. they it haven't no already been hearing it is no longer effective so in and you'll you, i don't need to tell you this because you've read the whole book in comey's book he says that one of the reasons we even give trump a heads up about the uh potential pissing blackmail is if we let the target know that the fbi is aware of this material it is not nearly as effective as blackmail anymore right so the blackmail was essentially neutralized before donald trump even entered office when james comey had that super awkward meeting with him up in trump tower right. when everybody else left the room right that's when the yeah, blackmail defensive briefings. Yeah, that's what defensive briefing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They actually have a term for it, even because that's how frequently this shit happens. Yeah, and they they took care of it at that point. But nominally, that aside, the idea would be that as uh, uh, the imagery of your president uh, hiring hookers to piss on a bed would be so devastating to his presidency that essentially he would do anything on behalf of forty chess playing Russia. Is and, the idea, and that's why I'm starting to believe it or not believe in, in this existence of a of a tape. Of a t- I would love that and, so and, much. And, and, and the only reason is of these records of, of these flat and 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 now seeing him here and and seeing how v- just adamant and, and violently he's been denying this, and now timelines are starting to line up. I mean, it's a relationship with Vladimir Putin, a conversational relationship, or anything that. You feel you have sway or influence over his government? I do have a relationship, and I can tell you that he's very interested in what we're doing here today. That's pretty much it. But, you know, even going back to, to Bill Clinton, you know, and the whole Monica Lewinsky thing, you know, mm-hmm. and he was, uh, he was uh, the, the impeachment was voted, but it wasn't confirmed or whatever the case may be. It came back to, to the lie, you know, to, you know, the but definition was, of what is, is. That you know? was under oth, though. Well, number, yeah. number one. But still, I mean, number two, a true, true thing. You yeah, know, that's, that's true. I, I definitely agree with you with, with the, the integrity aspect. But, you know, also, you're talking about, we're not talking, you know, this PP tape thing. This is not, that wasn't part of his presidency. Like, he, like we flew him over there. Right. right. It was in 2013. Yeah, it just, it, it just seems... I don't know. It just seems like we're making mountains out of molehills well, to a certain degree. But they also s- spin it in a way to say, well, you know, if this PP tape thing didn't happen and, you know, he didn't spay- stay overnight in these hotels and hang out with the hookers, then the dossier must be untrue. You know, that's the other thing that they kind of h- hanged on this. Yeah, it does validate. If it's true, it adds more credence to the dossier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that dossier is always going to be controversial because I think they took certain actions to make sure that some things in the dossier happened. Like, I think some meetings were arranged and then they wrote about it in the dossier. Like, well, so it's, it's always going to help be, that it's, it was funded by his, you know, by his opposition, right? But this whole, this whole, uh, if there is a piss tape, oh man, is that going to be a great episode of Unfilter? Oh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I can't wait for that if that's true. If there is, you got to figure our Donald it's going to be baiting to that all day. Well, that's why I wonder. I mean, with with the whole, and I don't know if you have clips of you know with the Haley thing and and the and the um, sanctions, you know, not being pushed. Not this week. We had them. It was what was that? Maybe week last ago? week. Yeah, in overtime. But, but you know, when you got Nikki Haley, you know, in the UN saying, "Yeah, we're going to put in the the sanctions," and the White House quietly pulls them back and they try to yeah. throw her under the bus. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you I, I speculated in the overtime last week, just as a quick Why? recap, what happened there. Yeah, because it's yeah. weird, right? Yeah, so, it's very odd. Um, I I would think, it, I, my bet, if I was going to add like um, some blooming onions to that uh, steak I owe you, what I would say oh, yeah, is... yeah, I still need that steak. Yeah, for, d- thank you for <laughs> reminding me. I, hey, man, I won't that. forget. Hey, Google. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a reminder. <laughs> reminder. I need a steak for this weekend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what I think happened there was, and and I, um, I'm not going to pretend like I just made this up. I was 
for God's sakes, reading Politico, I hate to admit it. And in there, they talk about how pissed Trump got because what happened was is we kicked out 60 Russian diplomats, quote unquote spies, right? We kicked out 60. Uh, Other countries kicked out six, right? So we kicked out way, way more. And he was misinformed. He was misled by his staff that other countries would be kicking out more diplomats to make a huge statement. And what happened was is the United States ended up making a massively disproportionate statement about a poisoning that didn't even happen in our country. And we, we shut down a consulate in Seattle over all of this. We went, we went, we turned the dial up to 11 on the response and all of our allies turned it to three. And he was legitimately pissed because he was he was led to believe that everybody else was going to 11. And so when everybody else went to a three, he said, well, fuck you on the sanctions. You screwed me with the diplomats. I'm not doing these sanctions now. And he said, we're not, pull it back. We're not doing it. See, my minor conspiracy theory was that was the play the entire time. Ooh. And, 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 Ooh. and to, to look good for, 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 for Putin. Our, some Bellingham, uh, Washington uh, bacon uh, here, buddy. Uh, all right, Vlad, you know, I'm going to kick out all these guys. But don't worry. I won't push the sanctions through. We're, we'll figure it out. We'll, we're going to make it look good for the American people. You know, kind My of. My only thing. question to you is how many sanctions are enough? It's been a lot of well, sanctions. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk of sanctions, but have the sanctions actually gone through? Or do they matter? Like, we exactly, always sanction yeah. like these idiots. It doesn't really seem to matter. Meanwhile, Putin's like, uh, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to know the sanctions. So we mentioned Comey. Let's get into Comey a little bit. He's been uh, throwing some shade, and it's the most sort of bitchy way to throw shade. Like, I don't know if he's beaten his wife, but it's possible. Do you think people tied to President Trump colluded with the Russians? I don't know, is the honest answer. And that, that was what we were trying to investigate at the time. Was anyone aiding the Russians, conspiring with the Russians? There's no doubt there was smoke around that. Whether there's fire, I, I didn't stay long enough to know. Do you think the Russians have something on Donald Trump? I think it's possible. I don't know. These are more words I never thought I'd utter about a president of the United States, but it's possible. That's stunning. You can't say for certain that the President of the United States is not compromised by the Russians. Yeah, it is stunning, and I wish I wasn't saying it, but it's just, it's the truth. I cannot say that. So, <laughs> James Comey's been going around, uh, plugging the new book, as you can obviously see from that clip. He's plugging the new book, and uh, Noah is here to do, give us a book report in a moment. But, you see, James, he's not sure. He's not sure what's going on. And since we talked about James Comey's book last week, there's a new sort of relevant news item that plays into all of this that's kept us in the headlines, and that's the release of the memos. Former FBI Director James Comey's confidential memos about President Trump are now public. They show the full extent of the president's concern about the Russia investigation, loyalty, leaks to reporters, and an unproven dossier exploring Mr. Trump's alleged ties to Russia. The president tweeted that the memos, quote, show clearly that there was no collusion and no obstruction of justice. He accused James Comey again of leaking classified information. Jeff Pegues is outside FBI headquarters in Washington with what we've learned from those memos. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. In all, there are seven memos. And yes, some of those memos are classified and they've been partially redacted. Comey says that he wrote those memos after conversations with President Trump between January and April of 2017. I'm sure the special counsel is considering my recollection of those events which are reflected in these memos. Comey said last night that he believes the memos are pertinent to the Russia investigation. The first was sent to top FBI officials the day after his first briefing with President-elect Trump. Comey writes, 
that he typed the notes immediately upon exiting Trump Tower, where he had briefed Mr. Trump alone, warning him that the Russians allegedly had tapes involving him and prostitutes. Comey writes that President Trump interjected about that trip to Moscow. There were no prostitutes. There were never prostitutes. On January 28th, Comey writes that he had dinner with President Trump in the green room at the White House. Comey remembered the dinner conversation being pleasant at all times and chaotic. The purpose of the dinner was for him to extract from me a promise of loyalty. He said, I expect loyalty, I need loyalty. And I just stared at him and had this little narrative with myself inside saying, don't you move, don't you dare move. Don't even blink. Comey says during that now infamous dinner, President Trump appeared to have reservations about then-National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, saying the guy has serious judgment issues. Now, have we gotten that quote before? I can't remember. That might be like the new bit of information is that uh, there was early, early, early doubt about Flynn, including an early, early interview with the FBI, like way before anything about Flynn came out. The FBI had sort of vetted him in a sense. Mm -hmm. I was concerned that I needed a record to show the other intelligence agency chiefs who had been with me but didn't stay behind for the second private meeting. And I also was worried that I was meeting alone with the president. Comey kept notes of his conversations with the president and even chief of staff Reince Priebus, who asked Comey if he had a FISA order on Mike Flynn. By then, investigators knew Flynn had lied about his contacts with Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak. In a later memo, after Flynn had been fired, Comey says the president asked if he could see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. Now, that would be what the entire linchpin of the obstruction of justice case against Donald Trump is. I got to be honest with you guys. I don't think that is solid enough. I'm not saying it is proper of a president to say that. It is. It does seem like maybe it's crossing a line. Uh, I, I don't think he should have done it. I don't think you're going to impeach a president over that, though. Like, it has to be obvious obstruction of justice. Do you Al- agree? Alan Dershowitz, no friend to conservatives, no friend to the right, said that even that the, the conversation itself would not have been a violation of the law. Yeah, he said that on ABC this this last weekend, actually. So, so what we're talking about is Donald Trump let him go, fired him because he lied to the vice president. It's that simple. So we're not talking about a law being broken. And the thing is... You mean if, Flynn lied to the vice president? Right. Oh, okay. And the, the, the thing is, if the narrative is that Donald Trump was trying to get rid of James Comey to end the investigation into Russia. Well, we now know after learning the rest of the contents of those memos, that's not true. Yeah. And and I I go back to my main point. You're not going to have an obstruction of justice case against the United States president with this. I hope you can I hope you can see your way to clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. Right. That's not the Russia investigation. Flynn. Yeah, that's just not enough. That's not enough well, of obstruction but, of justice. But it wasn't just based on this memo. It was also based on the Lester Holt interview where the president straight up came out and said that he let him go because of yes. the Russia Yes, all right, so let's get to that next because that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. Also, CBS News has confirmed that the White House has been informed that the president is not a target in the investigation into his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, 
Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein informed White House officials of that, including White House counsel. Again, he's not a target, but Chase is right. In the interview the next day, he said with Lester Holt, uh, yeah, you know, that might have been a part of it. That might have been part of why I thought about it. That's essentially what he said. Yeah. Um, I still, it's still pretty flimsy. I, I would say, uh, you, I think I'm ready to make a red book prediction about the Russia investigation. I think I'm ready. I think you're going to have a lot of people around Trump fall, but Donald Trump himself is walking away untouched. I don't know if he's going to walk away with the political capital I thought he would initially. So he's not going to have the political capital I thought he was, but they're not, they're not even going to touch Trump with this. Any more pardons coming? Hmm. Give me another couple of episodes. <laughs> yeah, he's obviously so. Remember, yeah. so he just pardoned Scooter Libby. Yeah, which uh, Scooter Libby was the fall guy for Dick Cheney for outing the journalist who exposed the whole chemical weapons charade for the Iraq the, war. Uh, the CIA operative. All Thank that you. thing. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Uh, and now, who is he? He was just tweeting about uh, pardoning a dead boxer. Right. That uh, apparently Sylvester Stallone recommended that he pardon. Yeah. So he's he, he is, tweeted about it. He's, yeah. yeah. He, he's trying to normalize the pardoning. That, to me, is a signal. He's normalizing the pardon, and that's an indicator that he's going to pardon more people, and then he'll eventually pardon. He's getting ready to – Cohen maybe gets pardoned. Somebody's going to get a pardon, and he's going to use this normalization of the pardon process to set the, to set the table, essentially. Well, it's interesting because well, Cohen today said that you know, he's going to be taking the fifth in the court case with, uh, with Stormy. Oh really? I didn't yeah, see that. Yeah, yeah. Just just announced r- right before I pulled up. Oh man! And then I then well, I start, that's sort of a bummer, right? Well, then I started thinking about the whole pardon thing because if if Trump goes and tries to pardon his his fixer, then that implies guilt. Then implies he has no fifth anymore. He's he, you know he's just going to get exonerated by the by the the pardon, right? Well, what we've learned from Scooter, exonerated. Scooter's exoneration is that uh, all you got to do is wait about eight years, and then when the political process swings, the next guy will pardon you. So, <laughs> oh, it's good to be part of the political. But it was league. never meant to be a a political tool like that, though, right? I mean, it was it was just, you would hope, yeah. But so I can't think of a president in our lifetime that hasn't used it, especially like. On their last, like, um, what during their lame duck session, I think, every, or like the last week or two weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every president's done a couple of remember Bill, like, pardoned like some child molester oh, yeah. buddy of his, and I, well, Bush, and Bush, Bill, did, yeah, Bush, Bush well, pardoned some like, did, coke head yeah. buddy of his, the, yeah. like, rumors were that he'd sold Bush coke back in the day, he pardoned yeah. that guy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 it's ridiculous. So, uh, is is there is there more to these memos though than perhaps we are giving credit? Because I'll be honest, I was underwhelmed because we'd already kind of talked about everything in the memos. However, when the memos got officially released, this was the process. Here's how they came to the public. So the Justice Department reviewed all of the memos. They Comey handed them over voluntarily, his copy of the memos. So according to Comey, right, he had one copy in his safe and then his buddy, a professor, had a copy. Right. And I think he also gave one to his his oh, uh, yeah. his uh, his deputy. Yeah. At the FBI. At the FBI. Yeah. Right. Thank you. So, so uh, I, either Comey or that deputy handed over their copy of the memos. I'm not mm-hmm. clear on who handed over their memo copies, but the, the Justice Department got their hands on these memos. Uh, and, and Comey himself, he can't remember. He says it's more than five, but less than ten memos. That's how many memos we're talking about. That's that's what James says. And uh, as soon as the Justice Department looked at them, he said, "Oh well, shit, there's classified information on these." And they started redacting information in these memos. Then they gave the memos to Congress, and within about twenty five seconds of giving them <laughs> seriously yeah. of giving the memos to Congress, they were immediately available to the media. 
just instantly. Like, it was nuts. And everybody is reporting on their exclusive copy of the memos while everybody had a copy of the right, memos. It yeah. was ridiculous. But there is a question that I have to ask, and I'm not the only one. Judicial Watch is also asking this question. If we had to redact portions of the memos, doesn't that mean then portions were classified? Judicial Watch filing a lawsuit against the Justice Department, the government watchdog group seeking documents regarding James Comey's communications with special counsel Robert Mueller. The new suit filed after Comey stated that he provided memos of his conversations with President Trump to Mueller and his team. Joining me now is Chris Farrell, director of investigations and research. It does seem a little odd, right? And we could have. So one of the great things about Judicial Watch is that it takes a little while for a payoff. But eventually, there is some great information that comes out because uh, they generally lean to the right, but they are really good at playing the file, like the Freedom of Information Request System. They're good at contacting the State Department representatives. Like they're really clever in how they approach this, and they're saying, "Well, let us let us get a little more background here." And and they'll even they'll even file a lawsuit if they have to. Like they'll go, they'll go all the way to the courts. So we could see more information coming out about the, why some of these got retroactively classified when they're his recollection, which shouldn't be classified. But executive privilege is a factor. So so we'll see. Yeah. Now, at the uh, at the analysis side of the memo release, you've got your good buddy, my friend, Judge Napolitano, the judge, and he says that there could be a a possibility that Comey ended up lying under oath. Now, I say that. Um, keep in mind. This is a very, very complex issue, and Comey's been very consistent with his testimony and his memos. So it's up to your interpretation, but I'll play the clip. You decide. President Trump accusing James Comey of breaking the law by allegedly leaking classified information to the media. The president slamming the fired FBI director in a blistering tweet. It reads the following way. James Comey's memos are classified. I did not declassify them. They belong to our government. Therefore... He broke the law. Additionally, he totally made up many of the things he said that I said, and he is already a proven liar and leaker. Where are memos on Clinton, Lynch, and others? End tweet. Fox News senior judicial analyst, Judge Anna Napolitano. End tweet. I like that. End, end tweet. Instead of end quote, end tweet. End tweet. We should start doing that. Is that no, from the, is you that, should is, not start doing that. Is, it, is that from the AP Writer's Guide? Bill uh, is uh, such what I a goofy. He's, he's, I love watching. <laughs> <laughs> with me now, and good day to you, sir. Morning, Bill. So, I mean, listen, James Comey was characterized as a Boy Scout with an American government, mm-hmm. and the more interviews he does, the more questions that seem to be quite revealing. Um, with regard to that specific allegation, whether or not he broke the law. The president's allegations? Yeah. What do you think? Did he? Well, it, it's going to depend upon which seven, which four of the seven memos were leaked to the professor, whether anything in there was classified at the time, whether it was properly classified, and whether the professor exposed classified materials. I don't think the I don't think the professor did this. This law school professor is a former ranking official of the DOJ who once had a security clearance and knows what it's like to deal with these uh, things. So, question 1, when Jim Comey handed these four memos over, had anything in there been classified or was the classification retroactive? Class question 2, was the classification if retroactive a proper classification or was it classified for some other purpose? Question 3, was anybody harmed? by Jim Comey passing those memos on to the professor. Those are all three super solid questions. Yeah, and absolutely. I, yeah. I think uh, Comey 
thought about this super deeply. Like when you watch all of this and you read his book and you look at his actions and his consistency between his testimonies to his memos to what's in the book to what he said in the interviews, it is the same exact language. It is the same exact message the entire time. He's really thought this through. Like from beginning to end, every step, I don't, I think at all of the characters, all the cast of characters we've talked about on this show recently, I don't think anybody has thought through every single step like Jim's call me. James, Jim has. Oh, no, he's been, Jim is, he's been very thorough throughout this entire process. Yeah, 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 thorough. That's yeah. what the government is interested in before the decide. I've got to write this stuff down. <laughs> you may have it written down for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is what made me laugh. I woke up Noah this morning laughing at this. I uh, so so Bill plays dumb, uh, and and the judge totally calls him on it. If you're listening to the audio, the judge points to the notes that are literally they're in front of Bill right now. Yeah, you may already have them written down. And I oh. I laughed oh, at this so hard this morning. Oh, and sidebar. Yeah, notice the lower third. Trump accuses no, no, the, the very bottom of the lower third. Fox facts. Oh man, that's so. Cringy. So it's yeah, I know. That's cringy, so, dude. I just, I just noticed that. You know what? They're, you know what's better than facts? Fox facts. Fox facts. Is interested in before the decide. I, I got to write this stuff down. <laughs> you may have it written down for <laughs> me. My word, right here. Will somebody clip that for me? Will you please clip that moment for me? That's a soundboard. <laughs> I may have to write this down. You are <laughs> just please clip this moment for me. This has got to go on the soundboard. I gotta write this stuff down. <laughs> you may have it written down for you. <laughs> my word, right? Oh my gosh. Okay, so Jonathan Turley, law uh, professor, on earlier today with Ainsley. Yeah, he was about this question, you know, the classified material going public, good friend of yours, as you say. Right. He characterized it this way. He certainly did violate the rules of the FBI. Uh, this was not some type of personal diary, as so many in the media portrayed it as. This is clearly FBI material covered by FBI regulations. You're not allowed just to take them and leak them to the media. All right, well, in that comment, he did not reference the law. He right. referenced the rules. It is clear that FBI and DOJ regs were violated by the mere delivery of those memoranda, even if they didn't contain anything classified, to the uh, to the professor so in, in the professor friend of Comey's this professor Jonathan Turley uh, is correct there but I think that the House Intel or Judiciary Committee is more interested in whether or not Jim Comey violated any federal law not whether he violated DOJ regs for the simple reason that he doesn't work for the Department of Justice anymore they can't do anything yeah, that's an interesting to him point. as a result of the violation of those regulations because they weren't discovered until after he was fired well you remember the question you remember how I just said he's really thought this whole thing through? <laughs> he's really thought this whole oh, thing yeah. through. Like, I mean, remember, he's a career guy. I mean, he knows yeah. the regulations and rules th- throughout. Yeah. I mean, this so he is, knows what to do. In a way, I guess that's what you want from your FBI director, right? <laughs> like, you want a guy that's thinking it through. This guy has thought it through. And his message has been consistent. Violation of those regulations because they weren't discovered until after he was fired. Well, you remember the question that Senator Grassley had 11 months ago under yes, oath? I, I mean, did he lie under oath? He may very well have lied under oath. Senator Grassley obviously knew what he was asking and knew that there was contrary testimony under oath. So will he be prosecuted for lying or misleading the Congress? If it's a clear case of lying or misleading, I think he will be. If it is a he said, she said, so to speak, even though in this case it's he said, he said, I don't think they will because they don't like to waste jury's time with that. Well, uh, one last question. You read the Comey memos um, released at the end of last week and probably a weekend to marinade. What do you think? I don't think there was anything in there that was classified. 
All right. Well, there you go. That but, again but, would be consistent with what James Comey has been saying. He's thought, nothing he's in thought, there was was he's classified. His whole thing. The whole thing. Well, and wasn't the push though to get these memos pushed out and released was was some sort of political ploy or something? I mean, I, I vaguely remember like we we got to get the memos out. We're gonna we're gonna subpoena to get these memos out because they're because of the whole book thing, right? They're trying to discredit, and then the memos came out. and They're like, oh well, it's just we like, knew all the, that. Yeah, we yeah. There's nothing different here. Yeah, really, it's almost word for word what he said in his testimonies. Well, the, I think the one thing that is that is revealing in the memos, at least the thing that spoke out to me, was that in the memos, it's not Donald Trump. And nowhere in there does Donald Trump ask him to drop the re- Russian investigation. In fact, he does the exact opposite and says, what are we doing to find these guys to prove that this thing didn't happen? And James Comey is saying, well, it's very difficult to prove that something didn't happen. He goes, well, what can we do to prove that this didn't happen? At no point in time does he ever imply, suggest, or otherwise that... He wants James Comey to back off the yeah. Russian investigation yeah. and the narrative that he fired James Comey because of the Russian investigation is right. also negated because in the memos you find out that it was actually Andrew McCabe that made the suggestion and got the opinion of Loretta Lynch and a bunch of the the people that had been in the FBI and the attorney generals before can you, him can from you, both political sides. Can you expand on that part right there? So I didn't I didn't know this until the book came out that uh, – that uh, Robinstein got the opinion of Loretta Lynch, which that was sort of like what I didn't, I didn't, I'd never heard that before. Right. So uh, to be fair, that's not from the book. It's oh, it's okay. in one of the memos, but. Oh, okay. that where where Andrew McCabe had gone and talked to people like Loretta Lynch and yeah. and she apparently denies the the conversation that James Comey does put in the book where he says That's that what she understood. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 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 So so but to me that's where those memos reveal something that we didn't previously know. Yeah. Or at least lends credence to the fact yeah, that that that's is what not, I'd say. not the case. It lends credence to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, okay. So let's go back. I'll, I'll, I'll resume the clip. They're going to, this whole conversation to me is, it feels really unscripted. Like they're just like, they've got 45 seconds to kill of airtime. Just and, fill some time. Yeah. And so the judge says stuff that wasn't on the agenda, I think. Grenade. What do you think? I don't think there was anything in there that was classified. I really don't. I think there were, those were his own, uh, recollections, maybe self-serving, maybe truthful about his conversations. Classified or not, what is your summary of what you learned in there? I think it's an indictment, lowercase i, not an indictment from mm-hmm. a grand jury. It's an indictment of the uh, of the president, if if those are accurate. The memos? Yes. In what sense? Well, the memos are what Jim Comey told whatever committee testified before, I don't remember which one it was, shortly after he was fired, that the president attempted to interfere in the investigation of um, Mike Flynn. That doesn't mean the president did. It means that in Jim Comey's view, there is evidence of it. So the the memos back up the testimony that he gave. All right. Thank you, Judge. You're welcome. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. Won't you all come on back now? Yeah, that's the judge's opinion. And I I think that kind of syncs up with where I'm at right now. Um, he had different interviews with Comey. He really did a whole press tour. He really he did a he did a press tour. It's the general framework. The pre- but the one I liked the most is right here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm not generally a Jake Tapper fan these days. He's been disappointing me. But uh, I felt like Jake asked some decent questions in this interview with uh, Mr. Comey. The president uh, has obviously had a lot of words in response to you for the last uh, year and change, especially this last week. He's called you a liar and a leaker. Our report. 
says um, that a Republican who recently spoke with the president says that the president feels as though he has weathered your book tour. Um, has he weathered the book tour? Has he come out unscathed? Now, before I let him give the perfect James Comey answer, which he gives in every single interview, do you think Trump's weathered this book tour? I kind of think he has, actually. I don't think he's any worse off before the, the book I tour was, started. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. I think it's the same level. But yeah. that, in a way, is a win. Well, they, they well, this is a man I, of credibility in a sense. Yeah, but kind of. I mean, the thing is, though, they were hoping to throw Comey off his game. It didn't really throw him off his game. I, I bought the book. Yeah, I, I, I think this man sold some books. Yeah, yeah. I think he's an excellent writer. He, you've th- been, you've been complimenting his writing style for a week. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a very good writer. I, I'm, the content, I have a, you know, some objections with, but I, I think he, he writes very, very well, and I think he outlines and articulates better than almost anyone I've ever read. He also rationalizes and backfills history in a way that is clear, yes. easy to believe. And understandable. Yep. He, uh, I think, has done a, a good job of sort of resetting his public opinion. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Trump has come out particularly damaged from this. Um, which yeah, I agree. They, I think – so I, if I were going to say one thing about James Comey's book, he is trying to take a moral position and draw a moral contrast mm-hmm. between his belief system – and Donald Trump. With him as the arbiter. Yes. And he would also tell you that what more is America but a collection of its values? That is what America is, mm-hmm. a collection of its values. And when you have a president who doesn't represent those values, it's damaging to the moral fabric of our country. Mm-hmm. I believe – do you think I'm accurately saying no, I think you're accurate. I just think yeah. that it's an important distinction is as judged by James Comey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I also I mean, I, I, I just completely disagree with the premise that we're nothing more than a collection of our values. I just right, I think we don't have a collection of values. No, we, we are a melting pot and we have what we are is a collection of laws and we have borders and we have culture and we have customs mm-hmm. and we have history. I mean, it is we are a collection of a million different things. And right. to say that we are just one thing and then hold all things up to that one thing. Well, that's going to be a guaranteed failure, which, by the way, is subjective. Right. We have. A, yes. We, there's a there's a wide scale of morality Which, and, and right and wrong. And ironically right. enough, he opens the book admitting to that very fact. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which that is, you're all predisposed to those biases. Yes. Sure. Yes. So now I'm going to I'm going to play the rest of this clip here because uh, this is an example of I mean, part of me, part of me wishes that more politicians spoke like this in a way because uh, it's rational. It's it's clear. It doesn't feel like they're lying to you. And it 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 evolves. It, it, I'm sorry. It um not not evolves from, but it it comes from like a an understanding of of perception, which is so important for politicians. So I, in a way, this is almost the perfect political answer. The only problem is he's not supposed to be a politician. I have no idea. The book tour is not about the president. It's about my hope that I can be part of facilitating a conversation about our values. President Trump figures in that, obviously, because he's part of the stories I'm trying to tell to illustrate ethical leadership. Because it's not about him, I haven't thought about it in terms of whether he's weathering it or not weathering it. Man, how per I, you know, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm not even thinking like that. I'm not. That's not even. I'm not even wasting my time with that. Right. It's not even there. That is so smooth. And then Jake pushes back. But again, you're not going to rattle Comey here. The book's about President Trump to a great deal. I mean, there's a lot. I read the book. There's a lot in there about uh, your time as a U.S. attorney, about your childhood. 
But there's a lot in there about President Trump, especially in terms of leadership. He's an example of how not to be a leader, in your view. The- He's the villain of the book. You know, and interesting about that is if, if you just read the book text-wise talking directly about Donald Trump, I would agree with James Comey's assessment. It's maybe the last chapter, maybe two chapters that he talks about Donald Trump. But he starts the book, he's like, he gives this example about his time in the mob and how the mob asks for loyalty. And all of those have these subtle little inferences yep. that lead up to the very end of the book. And so if you look at it as a whole, really the whole book's about Trump. Yeah. In, it, a, in a big way. It, and it starts with a super, super powerful story. And this isn't really a spoiler because it's at the very beginning of the book about how James Comey had a gun pointed to his head as at a very young child, as a young child while a, a burglar came into the home. And him and his brother were and, put in a very bad situation and under that pressure james comey still did the right thing yeah well i mean kind of he well he yeah he lied to the wrong man. he's well, such a weasel it, but, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did the right thing yeah, according yeah. to the law so jake asked a really good follow-up question he's like come on he's the villain of the book here he's it, the book is kind of about trump james comes back with the perfect answer especially in terms of leadership he's an example of how not to be a leader in your view he, he is the example of somebody who is a bully he maintains that honest looking face too mm-hmm. that like that that i'm talking to my mama face right now he's so good uh and you talk throughout your the book about how uh you you hate bullies i think he is a counterpoint that's why he's in there i couldn't write about ethical leadership and illustrate it with stories without telling stories of someone I think fails to reflect the values of an ethical leader. So sure, he's three of the 14 chapters. It's an important part of the book. But all I meant is it's not a book about Donald Trump. And I hope very much it'll be useful long into the future beyond the Trump presidency. I actually think that sums up where he's coming at. When you're trying to when you're trying to do the Comey math, like why why did he why did he say they're opening up an investigation into Hillary right before the election, while at the same time he's screwing Donald Trump with these memos, and you can't you can't square this? I think in a way he's he's legitimately not taking a side. He in a way really is being honest. He looks at it from a, a values and moral standpoint and not from a Republican or Democrat standpoint. Well, I, I was just going to say that's why he can be straight-faced. That's why he can just say what's morally on his mind yeah. and in, in, his, in right. his heart right. because this is just his point of view on yep. it. it. It's not trying to be political, yeah. and that's why yep. I, I do believe that. Yeah. Now, I would say, and I'm Noah, you, I have not finished the book, so I will defer to your judgment on it, but I would say the only problem with that is – even even in the book, he 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 makes basically an exhibit of decisions he made outside the system, outside of his management structure, because he felt like it was the right action to take, mm-hmm. including the announcement that they were reopening the investigation into Hillary. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the press conferences, all of that were sort of his almost ego mm-hmm. driving that. Do you agree with that assessment? Hundred percent. In fact, he goes so far as to say in the book that. He wishes it wasn't the case. He hopes it's not the case, but he would be naive to believe to believe that it is not possible that the fact that he believed Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president of the United States wouldn't have influenced in some small way his decision to disclose to the American people that the FBI was reopening this investigation. And in a way, I can commend him for the, his honesty within himself and all of that. I, I just think that to a certain degree, his drive to always do the non-political thing, to always do the non-partisan thing, to always not take anyone's side, put him at odds with a individual who 
likes to be buddy buddy who like who wanted to wrap his arm around him and you know be his friend and 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 something like that and i'm not here to tell you that that's the right way for the fbi director to interact with the president or the wrong way i'm just saying that he was nominated under bush served under obama had high respect for obama and so he was able to swing between both parties and i don't think it was the fact that donald trump was a right-wing republican that put him at odds i think it was the the way that James Comey uh, wants to separate personal and professionalism and the way that Donald Trump just doesn't know how to do that. That's a great point. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Yeah. And I think uh, that's what makes Donald Trump perhaps not a great uh, president in a way because Mm -hmm. it's it's all about the rules, the procedure, the process and the tradition. And he doesn't want to deal with any of it. Yeah, he just wants, which may be yeah, why he got yeah. elected. He just yeah, wants, yeah, he true. just wants yeah. to be the best, and he just wants to do the best job possible. And if and if that involves him scamming everybody, so everybody thinks it's the best job possible, or actually doing the best job possible, he doesn't care. He just wants to be a great president. He wants to take. He wants to. Uh, he wants to. I think probably deliver on all of his campaign promises simply because that plays into being a great president. And that's mm-hmm. his whole goal is brand Trump. And he would love the history books to look back and say, Donald Trump was a great president. He, he was the best president that ever presidented. Yeah, exactly. And whatever he can do to do that mm-hmm. gets him there. And there's these damn Russia investigations and these James Comey's that just keep getting in his way. And, you know, if we could just see our way to letting this whole Flynn thing go, that'd be great. Cause I want to just get on with being the best president ever. And yeah. that's fine for a businessman. Right. It, it, it's a weird mode of thinking because if, if you want to be the best president ever and you want to do things for the good of the country and, and all the great you know uh, accolades and things that you throw around with that, then you don't do things to make it seem like you're guilty. And 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 telling mistruths and misdirections and, and doing the things that maybe he did do in the business world and no one really knew about it except for the people of New York that always tend to say yeah we we knew about this a long time ago you don't do these things so you can't have both you can't be like yeah I want to be the greatest president ever yeah. and I want to be good well, and do the most <clears throat> weird just what are you doing I will, kind of a thing I kind of want to hear what I want to hear what Noah thinks about this because I I have never asked him that but. I will say this, like, uh, in a way, this election was almost a test between the politician who has been on a trajectory towards the presidency since her 20s versus the guy who decided in his 70s to run for president. And you have one who manicured her life for political uh, spotlight and for running for office, and you have another who was trying to get real estate deals done in New York and things done in Vegas and in Moscow and was running television. Let's be honest. Hollywood is not the most honest industry. Mm-hmm. And later on in his life said, you know what? All of these guys suck so much. I could run for president and win. Wouldn't that be a laugh? And went for it. Like Hillary is a manicured, scientifically engineered politician grown from a Petri dish to run the country. And Donald Trump is the chaos candidate that was supposed to go in with a cleaver and drain the swamp. And the one that was known to be a pussy grabber before the election and the guy who has a the worst comb over literally in the history of comb overs and was a reality firing guy 
ended up winning because the people are so sick of the manicured candidate. I really think that's true. And what you end up getting is somebody who is completely incompatible with the system. Hillary was designed for the system. This guy's incompatible with the system. That's why he was elected. He goes in there. He's hoping you can see that your way out of this, James. Can't you just kind of like fucking wrap this thing up in the next few weeks? Right? Because we got to move on. We got to make sure that Q4 is a great, a, a great quarter for us. And it's, it, you know, you're right. And it's born out. I agree with all of that. And it's born out of ignorance. And I think even James Comey acknowledges that when he talked again, going back to the book, he talks about how he was sitting in the room. And after they gave the security briefing to the president, Donald Trump starts talking to uh, his advisors and starts talking about how great that's going to be politically for them. And James Comey talks about how taken aback he was that a politician, a president would sit in the same room with his security directors and talk about the politics of the information he had just been given. Doesn't he know that is just not done? And, and I think that just underlies the, the ignorance. And, and James talk, says, he says, I thought about maybe I needed to explain to him that that is not appropriate. That's not how we do things here at the government. Um, and I, and I, I think you're absolutely right. When he came in from the business world, he's going to say, I'm going to take this top-down approach and, and I'm going to try to implement that stuff and get things done the same way I do in the private sector. And I think what he wasn't prepared for was the incredible level of scrutiny that comes with public office as opposed to the private sector. Well, then you then you don't say things like you know I'm going to bring in the best people, and then and then you bring in people that have shady backgrounds. That works in private business, yeah, right, yeah, because you know there's there's not a thorough vetting process because you know hey you know you're just going to get done what you need me to get done. I don't I don't care about your background, but when you're when you're dealing with public service, there there's a total big difference. Yeah, and that is the that is I think the crux of the issue right there is you have this total. Different sets of perspectives. And I think part of the issue is the electorate is not familiar with the intricacies of how you run a government. All they see is the excesses. They see the ineffectiveness. They see the fat cat politicians and they want all of it to be fixed. Right. And they don't, they don't appreciate the intricacies of how government works because they're not in government. Right. All they know is their government is not serving them. I mean, I'm literally standing here without health insurance. That is a fucking failure but, of the richest country in the world. And, and, it's pathetic. Yeah. And that's where it, instead of, you know, focusing so much on president, which, you know, yes, it's important to focus on the, the head of state. It comes down to Congress. It comes down to your local representatives. Like, that's where the change yeah, really happens. But the problem Absolutely. is our celebrity politician is is our great leader, and that's how the American people look yeah. at this. And you the, the you look at how many people come out for local votes in Congress. It's pathetic. Yeah. But when you can get Hillary and Donald up on the stage, people are going to come out and vote. And the and the issue is really Donald Trump. He's not a, as a president. He's not in a position to fix these things. But you know, I think to dig into Chase's point just a little bit, he's onto something there. If 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 you wake up in the morning and say, "Gosh darn it, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, has too much power and he is abusing that power, and we have a real problem," that's your first sign that our government is out of balance. That we need to get back to the courts. We need to get back to Congress, and so that all three are working in harmony to balance it out. So that there isn't one office that you can just win and all of a sudden destroy a country. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I remember from going through elementary school and middle school, you know, the different branches of government and how they're supposed to counteract and balance each other. And right now, there is a huge blurring of the separation of those powers. I mean, when we're talking about uh, the political leanings of our Supreme Court, I remember there shouldn't be any political leanings of right. our Supreme Court, right? <laughs> and I know we laugh and we I know we kid and we oh, talk about man. a conservative leading or a liberal leaning. 
it it's not supposed to be that way at all. And, and then, you know, when you have the legislative branch, they're supposed to create laws and they're, that's our Congress. And, you know, they're, they're supposed to be kept in check and everything by the executive. And it's not happening right now. And that's where a lot of people are getting fed up. And that's why, you know, I, I said this before, a lot of people voted for Donald Trump because they felt, all right, well, if we can't get our Congress critters out because there's, what, 15, 20 percent approval rate right now with them. You know, we're going to shake it up. We're going to we're going to throw somebody in there. But the problem is a lot of people didn't do their homework and really seen what kind of guy this is. Yeah. Maybe and so. This is what we have. I mean, it might be too much faith in the presidency uh, and their power to affect change, especially when you have a system that's willing to catch you on every little thing that you say. Yeah. Uh, and then you combine that with there was a time where it didn't really matter what was happening in Washington because you had state governments, you had city governments, and essentially that was what influenced your daily life. Yep. And that's all, that's all shifted now. Um, let's, let's shift ourselves and let's talk about what seems to be the most outrageous bit of news this last week since our uh, get-together. The DNC – led by Tom Perez, is suing a whole bunch of folks, including Trump campaign members um, and others, uh, uh, over the whole Russia hack. And it's really embarrassing. I got to move on now. We have another new legal front for President Trump that surprise lawsuit from the DNC alleging that the Trump campaign, WikiLeaks and the Russians, conspired to defeat Hillary Clinton. DNC Chair Tom Perez joins us now from Washington. Mr. Chairman, thanks for joining us this morning. Let me begin with, you know, you surprised a lot of people with the lawsuit and even drew some criticism. You surprised. Now, you got to understand really some context here. This is George. And this is George interviewing the guy that runs the DNC. So starting off with criticism, this is about as hard-hitting as a George Stephanopoulos interview gets, especially when interviewing the DNC hair. Chair. The chair. Uh, the hair. He's got no hair. Actually. I was going to say, bald. man. That's, that's messed up. You know, I really don't like Perez at all. I think this guy I, – I, I don't know. After Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, I really was hoping that somebody better would come along. Yeah, and that a was, refreshing view. There was at least somebody who looked genuine and honest and, and believable. And this guy looks like um, – an amateur school politician. What's it's, that Kennedy's name that did the uh, response from the State of Union? Oh, uh, right. Oh, man. Joe Kennedy? Is it Joe Kennedy? <laughs> he looks like a Joe. I, he, looks I, like I, a, he looks like a – he looks like a um, a movie characterization of a politician. Like if a movie scene was going to have a television on in a room and they were going to have a politician giving a yeah, statement, yeah. they would have Tom Perez on there looking like a buffoon. Yeah. I, I think Kennedy would – you know, minus the, the extra chapstick, I, I think he would, he would work here. Again, with – you know, you surprised a lot of people with the lawsuit and even drew some criticism from Democrats. David Axelrod uh, put out earlier uh, this week, right after you announced the lawsuit, spectacularly ill-timed, a Betsy Potus strategy portraying a sober and essential probe as a partisan vendetta. Everyone should chill out and let Mueller do his job. Where have I heard that before? That sounds like something you said about a month or two ago. <laughs> Probably, yes. Your response? I have great respect for uh, David Axelrod. I have great respect for uh, Director Mueller. And they can do their job while you have a civil suit pending. Why did we do this now, George? Three reasons. Number one, in order to file a civil suit, you got to make sure you're filing it within the applicable statute of limitations. I don't know when Director Mueller's investigation is going to end. So we need to file now to protect our rights. That's an embarrassing reason. Number two, we've done our job. We've done our homework over the course of the last year. <laughs> We have seen story after story. I like how he struggles to explain his homework. Like, we're so well-researched. Uh, you, 
you've seen uh, uh, you've seen everything you've seen fake news just Last watch the tv here we have seen story after story uh brick after brick you know leak after leak intentional messaging after intentional messaging in the conspiracy between the Russians and the Trump campaign. I like that that's the conspiracy. While this guy is literally weaving a conspiracy theory, he is blaming other people for creating a conspiracy, which is the opposite view of his conspiracy theory. Take that in for a moment, everybody. Brick after brick in the conspiracy between the Russians and the Trump campaign to affect the outcome of the election. I did my homework. We have a strong case. That's why we brought it. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I'll give you an example of how strong this case is. Here's a smattering of generally left-leaning media, but just, you know, a smattering of commentary on the DNC lawsuit. I want to start with the DNC lawsuit. Cornell Belcher, is this good politics for 2018? That seems to be the sort of, I'm a cynic here, this looks like a stunt. I actually think this uh, lawsuit is ill-conceived, and I'm not very supportive of it. Spectacularly ill-timed, a Betsy Poda strategy for portraying a sober and essential probe as a partisan vendetta. Everyone should chill out and let Mueller do his job. Claire McCaskill's office called it a silly distraction, the lawsuit. And instead, you're talking about a lawsuit, and who knows if it ever goes anywhere. Why the distraction? Um, this is nothing new. I'm sure this will help fundraising, um, but mm. beyond that, I, I, I think it's a sideshow. And it really is kind of a questionable move by the DNC. How much of it do you think is just a, a stunt versus a pretty smart ploy for, for court of public opinion? A hundred percent stunt. I, I don't think that the DNC has been able to do anything more than speculate based on the statements in their complaint. And one more reason not to take the lawsuit seriously is that it's not clear if it even can survive a motion to dismiss it. Well, I'm not supportive of it. Whether it's a mistake or not, we'll soon find out. It seems like the Democrats can't seem to hit a home run on any level. Honestly, it's just it's just a way to raise money. I love that last one right there. That's my favorite. Not shocked by that possible uh, yeah. answer. Yeah, that is what it is. That's yeah. this tis the time to raise money. Uh, it just seems like they're they. How can they not understand that the American public could? Yeah. What is less than two shits? One shit. The American public couldn't give one shit no. about the Russia the, stuff. The, the, this this feels like a low road approach. When if you want to set yourself apart from the other party, you try to take a high road approach. And this, it, yeah, I agree with all the pundits here. It's it's one of those things where it could even be possibly valid. Let's just say it is. Let's say everything is true in this lawsuit. I doubt. I highly doubt that they would have lost statute of limitations here in the next six months. They 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 didn't have to do this. Now they didn't. Now, uh, <laughs> this is what I what I love about all of this. Really, is just that uh, they they decided to go after uh, Roger Stone, everybody's favorite uh, court jester, and Roger Stone uh, immediately, without even a moment's delay, said, "Great, let's start the process of discovery. Please make sure nobody touches your servers because we'd like to fundamentally challenge the very idea that your servers were ever compromised by Russians." We believe this is part of the court now. We believe that it was an inside job, and we would like to have forensic analysis of your server. Don't touch those servers. We now want them for legal discovery. Mm-hmm. What else is going to happen? Yeah, exactly. This seems like a, such a bad idea. Like the whole thing is going to get blown now. Their, their best option is this thing just gets thrown out of court. That's their best case option now. All right. Are we going to see uh, campaign emails that are sent to uh, you know the general public saying, hey, you know, right now we're in the fight of our lives. Please donate money today. You know, 
I do whine because I, I want to win. I think that's what we're going to see. I yep. think we're going to see that. Mr. Chase, before yes. we go into the high note, do yes. we have a sack of sorts? We do have a sack. Of course we have a sack. It's time to play Ask the Patreon. No, it's, it's time to play Read the Sack. It's <laughs> okay. Read the Sack this music. Is, no, this is Ask the Chat Room music. Well, it is this time. All right, fair enough. Uh, Robin writes in and says, hey, yo, guys, there's been an interesting moral debate that sprung up here in Canada around a Canadian company that's making software authoritarian countries use to censor their Internet. Curious to know what your thoughts are and where you stand on making tools like these. Is it profiting off of it okay because you're not controlling how someone else uses it? And if they do use it, is it when they use something for wrong, is it not your fault because it's a moral thing? So, like, uh, if you're making the software and they use yeah, it to block, like, like say, like you're you're making the software to block, uh, you know, internet traffic in China, for example, because we know about the Great Firewall in China. Uh, he just wants to know, uh, you know, what do you think? Hmm. What do we think? What do I think about companies making software to enable filtering and blocking? I don't know. That's a hard question to answer because uh, I could take Like a, especially for other countries who want to like, you know, clamp down and yeah, regime yeah. and stuff. I mean, I, I feel like I, I could take like a soapbox approach here. But the reality is, I mean, I've been that IT admin who blocked all access to Facebook for us for, a, you know, like a request by a, a yeah. client. So. I've done that, and I and I think my rationale at the time was, uh, well, that's what do they expect? They're using their uh, they're using their businesses' internet, they're, you know, their employers' internet. Right. I don't know. I, I don't really have a strong opinion on it because I, it, it, you can make a tool like a gun or a knife, and then it's not really up to you how people implement it. And uh, at the same time, you know, when you're creating it, you know, you kind of have an idea what they're going to use it for. So as long as you know you're not breaking any laws of the country that you're operating in and, and that sort of thing, you know the company, for example, that creates this software, it really comes down to their shareholders, mm. you know, and yeah. are they are they a moral compass kind well, of a company? And uh, as uh, Lurker Allen says, what about the situations where it's more like, uh... oh yeah, nice. all right, nice, nice, very Let's nice. Let's see here. Hold on. Hold on. Take it, take it. Oh, oh okay. I think yeah. we're going to get a live call during... Hello! Hello, buddy. Hi, buddy. Hi, Dad. Hi. Are you doing a show? Yeah, I'm doing, a, <laughs> I'm doing a show right now, actually. What are you doing right now? Okay, um, I'll call you after your show, okay? How about I call you after the show? Okay. Do you want to say hi to everybody real quick? Sure. Say hi. 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 There you go. Hi. All right, buddy. I'll call, I'll call you soon, okay? Thanks for calling. All right, bye, dude. Talk to you soon. Yeah, there you go. There's right. a there's a little uh, field report from the from the boy. From I, I guess I, I I also I grok Allen's point. Like uh, if you're building software to like crack iPhones, like the gray key folks are, or you're you're building software to to crack BlackBerry messages, that feels like you're just you know it's like it's like the lowest hanging. You know what though? Of, but I'll I'll take the alternate approach. Maybe Apple and these other places that are making the stuff should build something a little bit more secure. Well, that's true too. I'm yeah. just saying. Okay, all right. Okay, I'll just give saying. you. I'll give you one of those. Veratuna writes in and says, "Hey, yo, Chase. Hey, Chase. Apt image for a sec. I, by the way, I had a picture of like a post-apocalyptic Seattle. Mr. Tunda. Oh, as, really? Yeah. I gotta as, check that as, out. As the picture. Yeah, it was actually from Rick and Morty, one of our favorite shows. 
Uh, anyway, uh, he goes, hey, the, the Skripal case has all but vanished from the headlines, but that did not stop the Russian consulate in the UK issuing a point-by-point timeline that shows how ludicrous the whole thing is. Not so funny was the $445 million arms deal the UK just struck with Israel, who has been condemned by everyone, save the US and cronies, over the killing of unarmed Palestinians. In the US, you have plainclothes state officials trying to break into the Seattle consulate. I have a comment about that, by the way. Gotta wonder what that is all about. Oh, and it was revealed that this week that the US was not alone in covert operations to overthrow Assad. The UK has been waist deep in that since 2012 it disgusts me and i have to say not in my name by the way the whole seattle consulate thing so last night was the official timeline that russia uh had to be out of their consulate in seattle 11 59 p.m and today this morning the state department as part of a routine check to make sure that they left they went in they didn't break in they went into the consulate they also found a whole bunch of shredded materials in the recycling <laughs> dumpster. Somebody's going to be doing a lot of taping yeah. in the government. Hopefully, they did a cross cut. I, I, that's all I they're would gonna say. Like, they're going to be like like the Penguin in Batman, that's where right. he just tapes the whole note back together. It's going to be. Mojon writes in and says, Hey, ain't no sunshine when you're gone, Chase. Aw. Hey, I was wondering. Stay woke. Uh, I was wondering what you guys thought about the renewed strategic military pact between Russia and China. Both countries have been beefing up their military in recent years, and with the U.S. beginning to uh, be more aggressive towards both countries, do you guys have any red book predictions resulting from this reaffirmed alliance? Well, yeah, and just wait for Iran to get involved. Uh India is going to get involved Uh in all that. Yeah, just wait because uh, it's all about. And lots of oil pipelines, by yeah, the way. Which, what, what does that mean? Money. Money, yes. And last but certainly not least, Amber writes and says, Hey, guys, I know you guys are big on tech. I was just wondering if there will be a Jupiter app in the near future. It would be cool for the folks who use their phones more than their PCs or laptops. Hmm. An app, huh? An app. You know, uh, I think there was a time where we would have been really, really seriously considering that. But these days, there's so many really, really good podcasting apps that you just need unfilter.show slash RSS. You plug that into your favorite podcasting app, and you're good to go. Yep. You know, like on iOS, I love Overcast. On Android, I'm a huge Pocket Cast fan. There's tons of great Oh, I love, yeah, apps. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any? Do you, do you, oh, yeah, I, I recommend Pocket, Pocket Casts on Android. Mm-hmm. Uh, on iOS, oh, God, I forget, because I haven't used it in a long period of time. I, I love Overcast. I think that's pretty That might have been the one I used. Yeah. Noah, do you use anything? Do you? Besides Pocket Cast, are you? No, I'm I'm strictly Pocket Cast. Oh, yeah. No matter what OS I'm using, yeah, I know. Nice. Really, really, I hear a like lot it. of I hear a lot of Antenna Pod and Beyond Pod from the audience. Nice. I hear that too. But yeah, I think Pocket Cast. The thing I like about Pocket Cast, if you want to kick in a little bit extra later on, they have a web player that syncs with the. Uh, mobile app and the thing and so does overcast but the thing i like about that is i can be listening to the show on the road and then when i get back to my desk i can finish up the last few minutes on my desktop speakers yeah. I, I like that so there's I, I just haven't really felt like there's a strong demand for us to build an app anymore when you've got folks like pocket cast and overcast 
and now uh, Google just announced that they're getting deeper into podcasts. They're going to be integrating podcasts into Google Search, so you'll search on a topic, and they're going to they're going to parse your RSS feed from a podcast, and, and they're going to have like knowledge boxes with play buttons. Oh, nice! Could be good. Could be good. We'll see. Yeah. And so it just seems like less and less uh, we should probably not bother with an app and instead use that same time and that energy and that money to invest it back in the show and just make a better and better podcast. And actually, I'll add on to that with unfilter.show, that space or that site is mobile optimized. optimized. So you can actually just save that as a shortcut on your your phone desktop there, if you will, or your your phone top or whatever. Yeah, it works great. Yeah, Yeah, it really will. You can add it as a, depending on your OS, you can just put it, boom, right there as a little icon. Instant instant shortcut. Pow! All right, buddy, you ready to move on? Oh, I just want to remind everybody, hey, remember, if you're part of Club 33, you can get in my sack every week. Head over to unfilter, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash unfilter, where you can join the sack. And by the way, do we want to make a comment about next week? Yeah, I was just thinking maybe we should. Uh, so it's going to be post Linux Fest Northwest, the Jupiter Broadcasting Linux Fest Northwest hangover, and there may be like production gaps, and Unfilter might hit that because we have a couple of like bring back and re hook up kind of things that we'll probably be doing, and I think. My plan is to take Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off the air for JB, and Unfilter will be right in that window. We'll see. I mean, again, if we bomb another country or something, you know, like extenuating circumstances, your Unfilter show is here. We'll definitely do a patron edition and maybe even a public edition. So that's still a thing. Nice. But nominally, our plan is that 279 will be two weeks out right now. That's our plan. So that way, the, the studio stuff I wanted to do a week ago will happen now. It'll just be post-Linux Fest stuff, and uh, we'll take that time off. We're, we have one catch-up week we need to do soon. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I already did it, but let's do it one more. Mommy needs a joint. We got Mommy. Yeah, Mommy needs this. NBC News, the nightly news, the evening news, the big production. The With one Bry-Y? Where, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Lester uh, Holt, my bad. Too soon. I know. Too I know. soon. Uh, they have recently discovered this new thing called... Mm, uh, merge, Cannabis? Merjuana? Merjuana? Proven to treat some severe forms of epilepsy is one step closer to getting in the hands of patients. The FDA's advisory panel unanimously recommended that Epidiolex be approved. The drug's active ingredient, the marijuana derivative, cannabidiol, also known as CBD. What this drug doesn't have, the ingredient in marijuana that gets people high, THC. This is a historical moment in American medicine. It is a huge win for science, and most importantly, it's an enormous win for people with epilepsy. Did he say huge? Did he say huge? Huge. Did he say huge? Let's go back. So this is this is kind of like the NBC Nightly News going all in on CBD. They're doing their first now, big CBD report. Sidebar question: I knew that the federal government had uh, patents for the cannabis side of things. Uh, I don't know how deep that goes. But isn't this a little odd that they, they're going to put this out? And isn't CBD still technically on the Schedule 1 list? Or I actually is it don't not? think it is. No. no? I, I don't know. Have you, haven't you noticed, like, there's a lot of places that are selling, like, CBD uh, lip gloss and stuff? Right. Have you, have you noticed that? Like, yeah. That's even outside of Washington that's happening. And that's okay because there's no THC. So it's not considered – I'm, I'm genuinely confused about this. Historical moment in American medicine. It is a huge win for science. Huge. And most importantly, it's an enormous win for people with epilepsy. People like 13 year old Jack Zalkowski of Connecticut, who we first met last year. 
His mother, Jenny. He was having um, seizure after seizure. Up to 20 epileptic seizures a month. But when Jack started taking CBD in clinical trial, the results were dramatic. Now he rarely has a seizure. Doctors at today's hearing said CBD reduced seizures by up to 50%. There are CBD products currently sold online, but they have not been carefully studied and don't have the backing of the FDA. Typical disclaimer. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not opposed to making a minor. I wish we had like a like an orange book. Uh, because um, I know someone who uh, has diabetes who has done some testing with cannabis consumption, uh, primarily through vaping, and then tracked blood sugar impact because they, you know, wanted, we're curious yeah. how 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 uh, cannabis consumption and smoke and vaping affects blood sugar, and it there may be down the road we may hear about how di- how diabetics are using cannabis to manage blood sugar. I'm going to say that's a an orange book prediction, but there's I've read a couple of things now from a, a couple of bloggers who are uh, diabetics who have been experimenting and tracking it like very very judiciously with with uh, blood samples and exact measurements of the amount of cannabis and all of this, and then they're charting like how their blood sugar is impacted by the by the use of cannabis, and it seems to have a lowering effect. So as their blood sugar is increasing, instead of taking additional insulin, they're able to. Uh, Smooth the increase and level it off with uh, cannabis and vaping. And I, I, Jesus Christ, would not recommend anybody try it. But it's been interesting to watch the bloggers try it on themselves uh, as human experiments and and watch their journey. And maybe we'll see that develop into news coverage in the, in the future after yeah. the epilepsy thing has sort of become old news. I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be either that or like PTSD and stress and anxiety. Something like to that effect. Oh, yeah. But NBC News wasn't done with that. They still had more to report. Whatever you call marijuana, it can produce a euphoric high that comes from one main chemical. Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol. Oh, yeah. Or THC. So they're doing a whole like how cannabis affects the body series on NBC. THC is found in resin produced by the leaves and buds of the cannabis plant. And when it's introduced into the human body, it has psychoactive, or mind-altering, effects. THC is structurally similar to the naturally occurring brain chemical, anandamide. Anandamide is what's called an endogenous cannabinoid, and it acts as a neurotransmitter, sending chemical messages between nerve cells throughout the nervous system. You know, it just happens to be that way. I mean, what a coincidence. Anandamide. Anandamide is what's called an endogenous cannabinoid, and it acts as a neurotransmitter, sending chemical messages between nerve cells throughout the nervous system. And because THC mimics the structure of anandamide, it's able to travel through the body and alter these brain communications, affecting regions of the brain that are linked to pleasure, memory, thought, sensory perception, movement, and more. Isn't this fascinating that they feel like the need to do this? Well, you know, I don't know. I think that's I think that's noteworthy. You don't seem to be too impressed, but I think it's it's not a matter of impression. It's it's I'm not surprised just because, you know, it's it's more and more states are legalizing it. It's you know more of an educational kind of a piece. You got countries that are legalizing (laughs) it. Uh, As Alan reminds us in the corner over there. Yes, that's right. (laughs) It's almost almost cannabis day. Uh, And then here's my last piece of a trio that producer Matt found for us of NBC's astonishment of this recent development called marijuana. For the first time on 420, green is a go in the Golden State. 
Oh, man. Can we call it? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good, right? It's the National good. Broadcasting of Cannabis. Oh. <laughs> With recreational pot legalized this year in California, <laughs> folks flock to dispensaries like L.A.'s MedMed. Buying buds with buddies, celebrating this unofficial marijuana holiday. Buds with buddies. So just let people do what they want. Today, recreational marijuana is legal in nine states plus Washington D.C. In a recent survey, found 61 percent of Americans believe pot should be legalized. The sign public opinion is shifting. That's how democracy works. That includes Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who tells Vice News he's now introducing a bill to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. That seems like big news that I haven't seen a lot of coverage yeah, of. I heard a little, little, you know, peaks about it. Yeah, just here and there. Uh, did you also catch uh, that your good buddy, my friend, who uh, uh, you don't remember, uh, uh, Speaker of the House? Um, oh, yes, Boehner. Boehner. Thank yes. you. A boner. Boner. I was trying to remember what my nickname for him was. Oh yeah, was how boner. he was so adamant against it. No, no, this is an and evil then, thing. And then what happened? Money. He, he got hired. Yes. <laughs> Boehner is now pushing for the legalization of cannabis. John, Joe, Bob Boehner. Let's call him Bob Boehner. Bob. Former Speaker of the House, Boner, is now a cannabis lobbyist pushing for the legal. He spent his entire political career being anti-cannabis, yep. fighting against it, even I- including jail terms, all of this, like the worst of the worst. And now he gets out of politics and he gets hired and a little bit of show me the money. And now he's out there going on media. He's out there politi- He's out there lobbying, uh, yep. trying to make a political uh, stump speech out of the legalization of cannabis. It's really remarkable. So it's it's not just uh, it's not just an isolation. It's not just uh, Schumer. It's also Boehner. Vice News. He's now introducing a bill to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. This could be the most successful platform that the Democrats have in 2018 if they push this. If they become the party of legal cannabis. That is the all of their other shortcomings. The fact that they're actually fat cat corporatists that are completely rotten from the core outrun by Nancy Pelosi will become immediately irrelevant if they become the party of pot. No, that will win. Now, I know we don't we don't have Alan on mic here, but I, I'm almost inclined to think, you know, Trudeau and, and, the, and the liberal party up there. That was one of his big talking points. Was the whole legalization up there? I mean, I I, I watch CBC. I, I keep a kind of an eye on it. <laughs> you do so, like your mancaster. Yeah. Well, I, he's gone. I know. I know. I know. Peter he's... Mansbridge got replaced Mansbridge, by four, that's what it was. four people. That's I forgot it was so phallic sounding. They they, they could they couldn't replace him with one person, not two. They had to get like four people to replace <laughs> well, him. He's a Mansbridge dude. Peter Mansbridge. That that. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. I mean, it's one of those things where, and I don't think you have to make it your main point. I think if you make it a bullet point, well, you make it known. Yeah, you make it known. Yeah. Vice News. He's now introducing a bill to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. Ultimately, it's the right thing to do. Freedom. If smoking marijuana doesn't hurt anybody else, why shouldn't we allow people to do it and not make it criminal? Last week, President Trump told Colorado Senator Cory Gardner the federal government will leave state legalized programs alone. The states will be able to determine what they want going forward on recreational medical marijuana. On this April 20th, some companies oh are slyly targeting those with a case of the munchies, while police are warning about the dangers of impaired driving. The numbers in the city of L.A. show that there's been a decrease in DUI alcohol arrests, but an increase in drug arrests. A few departments took to social media with playful posts, like officers in Wyoming, Minnesota, who set incognito traps near a trail of snacks. 
It's pretty cute. It's pretty. It, pretty and to cute. be fair, you're you're gonna have people that abuse any substance and, and do things behind the way they shouldn't do. Uh, just my personal opinion. I don't recommend anybody drive under the influence. Yep. But I would much rather have somebody who smoked a J than somebody who's had a lot of alcohol behind the wheel. Because they're driving really slowly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> hey, Mister Noah, thank you so much yeah, for joining bud. us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. It was fun to talk politics with you guys. Yeah. You know what? There was a minor unfiltered crossover on the recent Ask Noah program, episode sixty-one. Right. That's right. Oh, you joined me for that. Yeah. yeah. We talked a little bit more about Cole yeah. Daniels. Well, he uh, he played a few. Clips from James Comey's book, uh, specifically around encryption and the FBI's oh. stance on that and the backdoor situation, all that. It was a really good episode. Nice. Ask Noah 61. Uh, ask Noah podcast.asknoahshow.com slash 61. That's the part that gets me. It's pos. It's podcast. There's like a there's a subdomain. It's podcast. <laughs> Who dot uses subdomains anymore? I know. I know. Podcast <laughs> dot asknoshow.com. Mr. Chase, what about you? When you're not at Linux Fest Northwest this weekend, where can they find you? Uh, find me on the Twitters at Nunes N U N E S. I do a little geeky gaming thing at geekgamer.tv. Doing a lot of pinball stuff coming up. Chris, what about you? Uh, you're going to be probably yep. tweeting over this weekend. You know, maybe. I might be too busy having a great time at Linux Fest Northwest, but you can find me at Chris LES, the network at Jupiter Signal, and the show, Unfiltered.show. And why not get the lurker in the corner? Yes, that's lurker! Right. Go get the BSD Now program, Mr. Alan Jude, rocking that every single week, BSD Now. Go check that out as well. Get a little more Alan Jude in your life. Now, if you've got a little dessert left in you, the Unfilter Show isn't quite over. The overtime is coming up. This is your meat and potatoes. I understand if you got to go, but if you can stick around a little bit longer, there is more content coming up. Just a reminder, we'll be gone next week if the world doesn't go to hell in a handbasket. Yes. And otherwise, we'll be back not next week, but in two, two weeks. because I want to win. The show's not over yet. That's fake news. It's time for the overtime. Thank you to our patrons for staying woke. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Gosh, I love you guys. There are five new ones of you. Five. Big thank you to Casey, Nijek, Veltus, Off of the Dauntless, and Mr. Corton Daniels. You are our new patrons for this episode. 278's Overtimes, dedicated to your face. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you to everybody considering supporting us and all of you who do. I dedicate this, well, really the whole show, but this portion has specifically been crafted for your entertainment, your enjoyment, and because of your patronage. Oh! 
Last week, too, you guys voted to release the episode to the general public, so we went from having a special edition to one that everybody got to see, which I think is really cool, because, you know, if we're going to do the work and we're going to put the effort in, that's pretty nice, and the patrons agreed. They said, spread the good word, Chris, so now we're back with our regularly scheduled unfiltered program and our regularly scheduled overtime, which means we start out with a no-Nancy segment, and this one's a doozy. This one's a doozy. Because not only does she often mistake Trump for President Bush and President Bush for Donald Trump, but apparently she's also mispronouncing Obama's name. Nancy Pelosi starts it out with a bang this week for Obama. Obama, Obama. Oh, oh, Obama, Obama. You see, she meant to say it. It's like a saying. It's Obama, Obama, everybody. Obama, Obama, (laughs) y'all. Obama, Obama. (laughs) I guess the Republicans want to get out of town on tax in tax week. Now Republicans are scrambling uh, to, um, as their deficit-exploding tax scam collapses in the eyes of hardworking Americans. The $2 trillion-plus debt, you should pay attention to this farm bill. It's, it's un- inexplicable that for every dollar in SNAP money that is spent, $1.79 is an economic activity returns to the economy. Oh, okay. What is the issue is the GO plan, GOP plan clearly indicating that if the pre- speaker would bring a bill to the floor, uh, it's a frightening place. Uh, the, you know, it's a, a place that is, uh, when I've seen poverty throughout America, I mean, throughout the world. The world. Helpful they might be in the alleviation of poverties. We were, our purpose. <laughs> okay, I think you get it. Her mouth just started eating itself. You see, the thing is, is that the Democrats aren't divided on many issues. But if you look below the scenes, well, the public image is sometimes a little different than the actual image, and uh, they actually end up quite divided on some of the issues. The one that seems to be a little embarrassing is the impeachment of Donald Trump. It's a matter uh, that is being dealt with in the Justice Department. I don't She's speaking about the impeachment. I don't know that they're talking about impeachment, but whether they have the facts in the law to make a determination of how they go forward. Uh, we don't have that information. This isn't a big... We don't sit around thinking about how we deal with our donors. We have our position and our responsibility here. We respect other people's uh, expressions of their concern. Uh, and many of my members uh, have 65 of them. That's not a third of our caucus, but it's a large number, have, uh, uh, have supported uh, Mr. Green's amendment when it came to the floor. Now, that amendment was impeachment. So that's a good portion of their membership that supported that impeachment move. And, but Nancy would say, no, we are a organized front on this. What we're talking about is how we uh, strengthen the financial stability of America's working families, yeah. how we have a better deal, better right. jobs, Not better impeachment. future, Not impeachment. Uh, better wages, Not lower impe- costs Not to families. And that is what right. we are focusing Not on. Impeachment. And that's where we have our unity in the party. But this is not a divisive issue no. in our caucus. No, not a divisive yes, issue. Not a divisive issue. They're all on the same same page when it comes to impeaching Donald Trump. We're not going to tackle it. It plays bad. Every single person is on the same page in the Democratic Party, except Maxine Waters. To cross them at this time because he does not know what will happen. Perhaps they'll join me. They'll want to impeach him. Are you uh, are you the, uh, the belief that Democrats should um, make impeachment a centerpiece of the midterm elections? Well, they have indicated they do not want to do that. They think that the Republicans the will they? use it. 
Who's the they? The leadership, she says. The leadership. You know that whether we're talking about the DNC or the DCCC, they all believe that the Republicans will just use that and say they're mad because they lost the election. And they don't particularly think that that's a good way to go with this. I, I don't agree with them. You don't agree. both. No. Of, I mean, I, no. you, you don't agree both tactically and also substantively. I mean, I guess my point is I know that you substantively feel he has committed impeachable That's offenses. Right. That's right. Do That's you, right. Are you not persuaded by the idea that, that it would be a tactical mistake politically? No, I'm not persuaded by that idea. You know why? Uh, because I tell you, everywhere I go, people are talking about, what, why can't you all get rid of him? Right. Why don't they impeach him? What's wrong with the other members of Congress? Why don't they stand up with you? This man is dishonorable. He lies all the time. He's a con man. They say all of these things, and I'm not just talking about my district, whether I'm on the airplane. I'm walking down the street in New York. Wherever I am, I'm hearing it, and I'm told that 70% of women who have been polled say that they want him impeached. All right, Congresswoman. 70% of women want him impeached. She's not giving up on this. But you know what? It's not a divisive issue. Everybody's on the same page. Every Democrat's on the same page. I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. They're all on the same page. Hmm. Seems like that unity isn't so union? (laughs) I don't really, I don't know. But I do know that Alex Jones might actually be in some hot water. Elementary shooting are now suing radio host Alex Jones. Let me back that up because it, it, I don't know, it cut off a little bit. It's the Sandy Hook parents. Two families of children who died in the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary shooting are now suing radio host Alex Jones for defamation. The controversial host of InfoWars has long suggested the media faked information about the shooting. He talked about it with NBC's Megyn Kelly last June. All of the parents decided to come out and and lie about their dead children. I didn't say that. What happened to the children? I will sit there on the air and look at every position and play devil's advocate. Was that devil's advocate? The whole thing is a giant hoax. The whole thing was fake. Yes, because I remember in even that day, I'll go back from memory, then saying, but then some of it looks like it's real. But then what do you do when they've got the kids going in circles in and out of the building with their hands up? I've watched the footage and it looks like a drill. Yesterday, Alex Jones responded to the lawsuit in a video message. I believe Sandy Hook happened. And early on, I was being bullied by Internet folks and others (laughs) to say nobody died. And when I wouldn't say nobody died, in the debates, and then I would actually side with those that said that people did die. They would say that I was a government agent. It's the internet trolls. It's the internet trolls, guys. Gosh darn internet trolls. <laughs> Can you believe that's his defense? That's one step removed from Russian trolls. That's one step removed. <laughs> you know, and, and you might be wondering to yourself right now, why is Alex Jones relevant? Why do people talk about Alex Jones? Why does Alex Jones have tens of millions of members in his audience? Why does Alex Jones make a great living doing Infowars? What's wrong? What's wrong with this picture here? I'll tell you what, it's not necessarily Alex Jones. It's an indictment of the state of the media. And really, it's the media everywhere these days. And it's pathetic. And because the media sucks so bad, it's so bad, so, so bad at its job, Folks like Alex Jones are rising stars, just like all the uh, crackpot YouTubers and, uh, and um, legitimate independent journalists on the Internet. All of them are getting more traction 
just like this show, simply because the mainstream media sucks so bad at just their most basic job of finding out facts and doing critical analysis and reporting it. I'll give you a case study. This is why Alex Jones is a success. This, I I am not joking, is NBC learning that YouTube has a recommendation system and watch how they run with it. Former insiders say it's one of the secrets of YouTube, how they try to hook you and keep you watching. The secret of YouTube. And it's right here on the side of the screen. What is it? It's recommendations. The suggested content YouTube highlights. If we look at leather. So this is a news video. But then it recommends like 10 reasons people believe the Earth is flat. Guillaume Chaslow worked at YouTube and its parent company Google as a software engineer until five years ago. He says YouTube wants to keep you on its site, often by suggesting additional content, even videos promoting conspiracy theories, because people tend to watch them longer. We just searched NASA. Mm-hmm. And within one, two clicks, aliens, mm-hmm. government lies, mm-hmm. and potentially spying. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And it takes this computer geek that has a free software foundation sticker on his MacBook to figure this out. Two clicks, aliens, Mm -hmm. government lies, Mm -hmm. and potentially spying. Exactly. It's not everything YouTube suggests, but we found other recommendations generating similar false conspiracy theories alongside legitimate news and kids' videos. There was even a picture of Putin in one of those stills. Because, you know, those stills... They could infect your mind with Russianism. Searching Sandy Hook shooting at one point, and the top results included a 9-11 conspiracy video and claims the tragedy was a hoax. No! The problem, Chaz Lowe says, lies in YouTube's algorithm. Is YouTube basically recommending all of us videos just to keep us hooked? Yes, exactly. Who would do such a thing? Who would do such a thing? Definitely. Definitely it is only the television media industry can protect us from a monster that's trying to keep you watching. Only the television industry, the righteous television industry. Basically recommending all of us videos just to keep us hooked. Yes, exactly. They are not even the videos that you might want to watch, but they are the best to get you addicted. The more videos you watch, the more ads you see. That equals more money for YouTube. It's a problem throughout not just YouTube, but Google, Facebook, all these companies is that they've prioritized growth over anything else. But if growth is the goal, then user experience is not the goal. Chaz Lowe worked on a project to introduce more variety into results, but he says it was shut down because it wasn't good for watch time. He adds when he tried to keep it going, Google fired him. YouTube responded, saying Google fired Cheslow for performance issues, adding that the recommendation system has changed substantially. It's always changing. That's the beauty. It's always changing. Cheslow for performance issues, (laughs) adding that the recommendation system has changed substantially since Cheslow worked there. And it no longer optimizes only for watch time and now uses additional signals like surveys, likes and dislikes. It says it has tweaked its algorithm to better show authoritative news sources and to focus on viewer satisfaction. Satisfaction. But with fake news still making its way onto the site, a growing focus on YouTube as the world watches. Jolene Kent, NBC News, San Francisco. This feels ripe with competitiveness with me. This is why they're doing this, because YouTube is um, going for your time. YouTube is stealing your time away from cable news and uh, broadcast news. 
and that's why they're at war. There's an inherent conflict of interest. YouTube is undermining their business model. Yet somehow these journalists don't uh, feel the need to point it out, and they can make you scared out of the recommendation system. The same kind of system that Hulu has, Netflix, uh, the same the same thing that really executives do in boardrooms in TV networks sitting around going, how can we make this content work together that'll keep people watching? But, you know, you put a still of Vladimir Putin on there and you got yourself a news story. This is why Alex Jones is doing well. I'm not trying to defend Alex Jones here. This is why the Unfiltered Show is doing all right. There is a desperate need for an alternative, better news source because even when it's the most basic freaking crap, whenever the media covers something that you personally know that you are a subject matter expert on, you watch them completely fail to understand it. And the more you learn, the more things you become a subject expert matter on, the more ways you see the media fails to properly do just the most basic research and delivery of information. And so anyone that's just willing to tell you what the hell is actually going on is immediately a better news person. And they're getting big followings because people know this bullshit is being served to them. And that's why Alex Jones is doing well. That's why YouTube news personalities are doing well and news podcasts and alternative news websites because people are hungry to make up their own minds and just take in information and use their own intelligence. And that's why even networks like RT are relevant today because sometimes they're the only ones reporting on the interesting things happening in the rest of the world. The United States is uh, piling the pressure on Turkey, warning of sanctions if it buys Russian anti-aircraft defense systems. The purchase could also affect U.S. sales of F-35 fighter jets to Ankara. That's according to Washington. The U.S. adds Turkey should be mindful of making strategic concessions to Moscow during Ankara's interventions in Syria. However, NATO appears to take a contrary stance, saying this is a decision for Turkey alone to make. We discussed the issue with the Dean of the Political Sciences Faculty at Turkey's Marmara University, Cengiz Toma. He thinks that Washington's attempts to disrupt a uh, S-400 deal are designed uh, to divide Moscow and Turkey. Because of Russian and uh, Turkey relationships and uh, better relationships, Americans try to, uh, you know, oppose and try to, you know, uh, uh, take Turkey from out of uh, Russia using economic uh, problems of Turkey. And this is, uh, this should be very difficult uh, for Turkey. I think Americans try to, you know, uh, to take this government from the power. Now, uh, he says that we're trying to take that government from the power. (laughs) But the thing that I think is the most interesting about this clip is the fact that sanctions may be coming from us. The United States is uh, piling the pressure on Turkey, warning of sanctions if it buys Russian anti-aircraft defense systems. That's our business. You You buy your weapons from us. You do your oil deals through us. You use our currency. You start talking to Putin about that kind of stuff. And here come the sanctions. Isn't that interesting? Our once great ally, NATO partner, Turkey. And we're talking about applying sanctions to a NATO partner. Ah, man, I think that betrays the larger picture of what's going on that we haven't been fully informed on. It goes back to that overthrow where they almost took Erdogan out of power. And uh, some sniper teams at the last minute saved him. And uh, there was supposedly blame cast on a uh, asset here in the U.S. that said that he was a CIA guy and he was he was the uh, leader of the um, revolt. And there was a late night plane flight and all this crazy stuff around that. And then it just went silent, it just went silent. Erdogan was almost overthrown from power in a coup that nearly was successful in a NATO ally. And it's gone silent. But since then, they shot down and made up with Russian 
uh, with Russia. They shot down a Russian jet and then made up. They've been attacking our guys in Syria, and now here come the sanctions. And, you know, it doesn't ever fail. No matter what strategy we take in the Middle East, it's always doomed because we just go about it in the worst way possible. And it's so, so expensive. So much of our tax dollars get spent. It's come to light uh, U.S. military personnel have been working closely with Lebanese armed forces who are believed to have ties to the Hezbollah group, which is listed as a terror organization by Washington. The issue was raised in Congress on Wednesday. The United States has provided exceptional support for the Lebanese armed forces in recent years, and not just financial support. It's not simply a dollars and cents issues. We have personnel working closely with and in the Lebanese armed forces. Well, figures show since 2006, the U.S. has provided nearly $1.7 billion to help the Lebanese army. The security assistance funds uh, were mainly used to provide equipment, facilities and training. After the disclosure, a State Department official said that the U.S. keeps track of all equipment handed over, decreasing the risk of Hezbollah actually using it. However, some members of Congress, along with regional experts, do argue there's no difference between the Lebanese army and Hezbollah, which is supported by Iran. Mm, that's a little bit of a tricky situation, isn't it? It's a little bit of a tricky, wickety situation there. Oh, random uh, standby screen. Thank you, OBS. Thank you for doing that for me. All right, so uh, there you have it. We're dumping money in the Lebanese army for what? For what? Meanwhile, uh, the situation, although a bit mysterious, seems to be going well with North Koreas. Tonight, the first concrete signs a historic summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un could really happen. We will be doing everything possible to make it a worldwide success, not just for the United States or South Korea or North Korea or Japan, but for the entire world. The president sharing new details about CIA Director Mike Pompeo's secret Easter weekend face-to-face with the North Korean dictator. He just left North Korea, had a great meeting with Kim Jong-un, and got along with him really well, really great. The president earlier confirming the trip on Twitter, stating definitively what success would look like. Denuclearization will be a great thing for the world, but also for North Korea. The planning earning praise even among some of the president's fiercest critics. I think it is good news for diplomacy. It's much better than the footing we were on before where we had the president of the United States and the supreme leader comparing the size of our nuclear buttons. For President Trump, it's a giant gamble. If it leads North Korea to dismantle its nuclear weapons, it would be a global game changer. If it fails, the president will have elevated a nuclear-armed authoritarian with nothing to show for it. When you bring the president into a diplomatic negotiation, it should be as a closer. In this case, he's being brought in in the beginning when we don't know how many issues there are and whether we can reach agreement on any of them. So there you go. It's a horrible mistake. Trump shouldn't be doing this. It's going to lead to absolute total failure. We all know this. It's obvious. What is he doing? Oh, except for now it's all worked out and Kim's spinning down his missile program. Surprise announcement from North Korea. Kim Jong-un voluntarily calling a halt to those nuclear tests and launches of intercontinental ballistic missiles. President Trump calling it progress for all in advance of his upcoming talks with the North Korean leader. But Kim's words and motives under an international spotlight now. Tonight, ABC's chief foreign correspondent Terry Moran reports from London. No more of these for now. 
That's the stunning promise from North Korean leader Kim Jong-un with his surprise declaration to a ruling party meeting that the isolated nation will suspend all nuclear and ballistic missile tests effective immediately. And with a flourish, Kim added he will actually abolish a nuclear test site. The nuclear test site has done its job, he said. This is an extraordinary announcement from the North. We have never seen any kind of movement like this, any kind of concessions in the history of North Korea. President Trump greeted Kim's announcement with glee, tweeting, This is very good news for North Korea and the world. Big progress. Look forward to our summit. So there is um, a lot to process here. North Korea spinning down their missile test program would seem to be a massive victory for the diplomatic efforts of the Trump administration. There is an alternative explanation that I would invite you to entertain. I'm not saying this is why he's spinning down the nukes, but I have a link in the show notes on filter.show slash 278. And in there is some satellite, I think, footage, it might be aerial footage, of the test site that uh, they're shutting down, which, if you don't remember, was uh, underground under a mountain. And uh, that's how they were testing without a lot of observation, is they were doing underground testing. Well, it seems that test site has completely caved in. In fact, there may even be a bit of a chimney effect from the cave-in, allowing the test radiation to escape. And uh, it may just simply be that they have devastated the one spot that they could use for testing in their small little piece of land. And the timing of this happened to work out very well strategically. It's a good win. It's a good show of faith for them. And they had to stop anyways. I don't know if that's it. I mean, that uh, that's a narrative that totally takes the wind out from underneath the Trump administration's uh, win here. So obviously, that's something that a certain group is going to want to push. But uh, I'll let you make your decisions up on your own. I'll have a link in the show notes if you would like to check that out. Before we get out of here, before we go, I want to just cover uh, a little bit of Rachel Meadow. I, I just found her to be extremely obnoxious with this Comey stuff. And I want to share just one clip with you. Last week, the memos that James Comey wrote about his White House interactions before he was fired uh, were all released to the public with only minor redactions, thanks to congressional pressure on the Justice Department to let those things out. Um, That really big news did not make really big news. I mean, the president freaked out on Twitter about it for a number of days running. But the public response, the press response was more of a shrug, right? Seen it all before, almost literally. That's because you had seen it all before. Uh, There was not a lot of news in James Comey's memos, which is the point. His notes hewed so closely to what he had previously told investigators and members of Congress that they seemed boring. But they did also prove the main point, which is that his story hasn't changed one whit. Now, is what I love is what she's about to do. And I I hope this isn't uh, driving you crazy. But what she's about to do is demonstrate to you that he must be telling the truth because his story has remained consistent. Ergo, it's all true. Right, that's your news. I mean, the president has been calling James Comey a liar. But James Comey's testimony really is bolstered by his notes. It, those memos match basically exactly what he told Congress and what he said publicly and what he put in his book. His story has been consistent. What he said the first time is what he has still said every time since. Hmm, like he's familiar with how law enforcement works, how a lawyer thinks, how a politician thinks, and how the director of the FBI would act. It's That's strange. Which is what it looks like when a person is telling a true story. Or has really thought it through. I leave it up to you to decide. Uh, but she said, there you go. That's how you know it's true, because uh, Kami was uh, telling the same thing every single time, so therefore it must be the truth. <laughs> 
I don't know. If, I don't know about that. I'll tell you another bad idea. Just it's bad. It's bad logic. It's just bad logic. And 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 you're gonna think this is even worse. I I can't believe that this is what they're starting with. They're gonna they're gonna run a, a drone pilot program for medical needs. Okay. So uh, if I say that just generically, you might think uh, prescriptions uh, for uh, people that are disabled that can't leave their home. Okay, life-saving prescriptions. Sure, that could be a good use for drones. Uh, maybe it would be condoms, you know, so that way you're in the moment of heat. Uh, you know, you, you call up an app on your phone. It orders you uh, a three- or six-pack of condoms, whatever that thing can hold, flies them over and drops them off. That, that way uh, you, they just saved you from uh, having a night of passion without protection. Sure, I, I could get behind that even. Or um, a rescue drone that comes out and brings life-saving water or insulin to a diabetic. I could totally understand that's what you would use drones for. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. But no, no, see, they're crazy. They're they're crazy. And uh, I don't think you're going to like this idea. No, the first implementations we're going to see widely adopted of drones will be drones that are carrying, carrying blood, carrying California city wants to use drones to help save lives. Palo Alto hopes to become the first U.S. city to use unmanned aircraft to deliver blood from a blood bank to a hospital. The Federal Aviation Administration is reviewing the city's proposal, along with about 150 others. The agency will approve 10 projects to move forward next month. But as Maria Virial shows us, some worry that more drones could create more harm. This could be the future of health care. Drones delivering blood in emergencies. At the Stanford Blood Center in the heart of Silicon Valley, Dr. Tafam's team collects about 200 pints of blood each day. Most of that supply is stored at the hospital. But sometimes there's a need for more. You can't plan for emergencies, and that's where uh, time becomes even more crucial. Right now, they use a courier service, but the process can be slow. It depends on the time of day, courier availability, uh, traffic conditions, anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. I just and with a drone? With a drone? 10 minutes or less. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference, and it it can make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Andreas Raktopoulos is the CEO of drone delivery company Matternet. He showed us how it works. The blood would be placed in a secure box and automatically loaded into the drone before taking off on a pre-programmed route. At the hospital, doctors use a QR code on their phone to unlock and grab the package. Wow. Ziplane 138 is ready. Several of the projects the FAA is now considering deal with health care. Drone delivery company Zipline, which is involved in eight different proposals, says their drones can fly over 100 miles to shuttle medical supplies to rural communities. Under current federal law, drones must stay in the operator's line of sight. But next month, the FAA would waive those restrictions for the 10 pilot projects, opening up the possibilities for commercial drone use in the U.S. Regulators still have to tackle, though, those tough questions about privacy and safety. There's no telling what can happen. Palo Alto resident Katie Talbot, who lives near their proposed route, is concerned. I think they know that they would run into a lot of um, resistance from the neighborhood if they tried to fly over them with a load of blood. Matternet says the route will be over open space and says success here could ease some of the public's concerns. We believe strongly in you know, healthcare being the first adopter of this type of technology because there's a very tangible and tremendous benefit there. Right now we're talking about drones delivering blood, but think of it more generally as drones delivering medical supplies. And when you do that, 
you know, there's a whole world out there that you can sort of change. Prove it's coming. It's coming. Soon podcast delivered by drones, my friends. Just imagine it. It'll be beautiful flying through the skies and dropping podcast players on your head. Oh, thank you for joining us. See you back here next week. Bye, everybody.